Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's Ria. No sales from the front ever. And no smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like and share it with all your friends across the internet, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, all that shit. Shit I don't even know yet. If you got any questions or suggestions, go ahead and go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. Leave me a message. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. Hello, YouTube. If you prefer, you can also go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers and watch it there, although not as up to date. I think I'm only on episode five and we're going into 14 here. Video editing is difficult. Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> and because this is the world we live in and the country we live in, legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. And I'm going to add, don't be a fucking crybaby too, Okay. Stand up for your shit. Anyway, show quote of the week. Every week I try and pick a show quote that hopefully sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully for your week as well. And we'll see how close I got. I don't know Brian as well as I know some of the other people I've had on the podcast. However difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. Stephen Hawking. However difficult life may seem, there's always something you can do and succeed at. And that quote is from Stephen Hawking. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let, you, let me introduce you to my guest, Mr. Brian Borowski. Brian is a CPA who has cornered the local real estate investing crowd in Metro Detroit. He earned his BA and MBA in accounting for Michigan State University, and we don't hold that against him. And for some strange reason, we'll talk about it uh, in the podcast, Brian knew he wanted to be a CPA before he even knew what a CPA was. A math whiz in school, he dreamed of piles of cash he could save making money and saving money from thieving governments. I may have made that up and added that in. and <laughs> Brian may not have written that at all or said that at all, but uh, I took some liberties. <laughs> For the IRS agents that may be watching. Yeah. In 2007, he went on his own and started his own business, and the rest, as they say, is history. Brian also loves baseball, and he has his own, although not recently updated, Tiger's blog, tigerblog.net. He also wrote for Hardball Times. And a lot of his writing has been featured in over a dozen books. Also, for those listening, Brian has overcome, and for the most part, you probably won't even notice, but uh, he went through speech therapy for years. He had a stutter as a kid. And um, something I thought was interesting, something he learned, believes his listen-first, speak-second approach has also helped him as a business owner. Go to BrianCPA.com, BrianCPA.com, or go to Facebook.com forward slash BrianCPA. Hit him up on the Twitterverse, 
at Brian CPA MI from Michigan. And if you're interested in this Tiger's blog, go to tigerblog.net. Or I'm just going to throw this out there. 248-346-4732. Blow up his phone. Hire him. I don't answer my phone a lot. but There we go. But uh, (laughs) I'll eventually get back to your message. I like texting better. Yeah. Within 48 days, he will return your message. Depending on the time. Nah, it's usually better than that. It's usually better than that. No, same day. Same day. 24. Yeah. 24 hours usually. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it, Brian. Oh, you're welcome, Jeremy. So, Michigan State University. I'm going to ask, how does one want to be a CPA? Before they knew what a CPA is, certified public accountant. Well, not exactly the sexiest. Like I want to, I want to hit a grand slam. I want to bang the cheerleader. I want to be a certified public accountant. How does that happen? I had an uncle who was a CPA. I didn't know what he did. I just knew he made pretty good money. <laughs> did he have a nice car? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I knew that you had to be good at math. I didn't know how the two related, but. That was pretty much it. So you're like, hey, I can do math, and I like money. Yeah. I should do this. Yeah, I'm like 14, and I was like, sure, I like getting paid for this stuff. What 14-year-old wants to be a CPA? You were a put-together 14-year-old. I think I'm just going to throw that out there. Is that true? I just made that up. Uh, I guess it depends on what you mean. I didn't know what I wanted to be at 14, besides uh, with women. You know, That's yeah. about all I knew in sports, sports and women, right? So, And it's funny because... A CPA means a lot of things because, you know, some do tax, some do accounting, some do auditing. So I just chose taxes because it was the least boring. Wait, wait. Didn't which, you? which sounds kind of interesting because a lot of people boring. are probably thinking, what? How, how can tax be the most exciting? But it, it actually kind of is. So I think you made that up, but I'm glad there are people like you. So wait a second. You mean you didn't dream of piles of cash and saving money from the thieving government? No. Because I didn't even know what a tax return was at the time. I like so. putting words in the people's mouth to get my that political came later. message. That came later. That came later. Yeah, I realized that later. So at 14, your uncle was a CPA. Was he a tax CPA too? or He did do taxes. In fact, he did our taxes ah, okay. until I graduated and I started doing my parents' taxes. So when you were 14, you're like, I like math. I like money. I can do this. Yeah. And went to Michigan State University and said, I'm going to get a bachelor's in... What actually started earlier, because our high school offered a a couple years of accounting. So after going through the two years, it was just something... And again, I don't know, you know, not not to get too, you know, weird, but it just just clicked. Wow. I'm so glad there are people like you. So... Because I don't... I can't do it. And I've always been a numbers person. So like, you know... If you give me a bunch of numbers, I can find the patterns. I can, you know, so I usually do well on IQ tests. Not that that necessarily means anything. But sure it does. It means you're smarter than all the rest of the apes. Well, it means you're better at recognizing math patterns and stuff like that. How many people were in that class, by the way, in Which high one? school? They're offering an accounting class. Uh, actually, it was fairly popular because it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult, the first one. The second one was a little more complicated so that was just you know probably a class of like 30 people actually let's take this back because what what is the major difference between accounting and let's say math and or like a subject like algebra what do you learn in accounting 
the big thing with accounting is this double entry system, debits and credits. So it all comes down to debits and credits. And, you know, this stems back to the whole trial balance. I don't know how well I'm going to explain this, but, you know, anytime. Do your best because I don't know. Anytime something happens, it affects two different things. So say you pay your rent, you pay your rent, you have cash going out. So that's one side of the entry. And then you have a rent expense, which is the other side of the entry. So your expenses are a debit, so you'd be debiting your rent expense. This is going to make for fascinating radio. I know. And then this is important <laughs> shit, Brian. We got to know this stuff. And then, and then the credit, the reduction to cash, is a credit. That's the other side of the entry. And at the end of the day, all your debits and credits should match, and it all kind of works out. And that's. That's sort of the backbone of your income statement and your balance sheet. And that's what you wanted to do in high school. I was just good at it. So <laughs> You don't have to. It's okay to be wanting to do it. I am so glad you know, there and, are people like you. And then in college, it was the same type of thing. You know, I didn't do well my first year because they didn't offer, you know, the real business classes until your sophomore year. And then when I got to my sophomore year, it was like, you know, I'm making the dean's list. Well, because I'm not taking natural health and humanities classes. I'm taking, you know, the stuff that I'm actually... Woman's studies? Ye- oh, yeah, I just threw that grenade in there. Yeah, I never took women's studies. <laughs> I don't even remember. I mean, this was this was the early 90s. So. That's right. We didn't have to have politically correct yeah. classes yet. Yeah, I, my, I'm going to just make broad sweeping generalizations based on my three weeks at college. Okay. So, yeah, most of it was bullshit. I, my three weeks in college, all my freshman classes, as an adult, too, after the United States Navy. It was a very interesting experience of amount of money you pay for shit you don't need to know with dumb people who don't know it already to be taught by other students who are trying to get a credit for the class or earn some sort of money for college. It was very, it was very strange, especially if you want to be like an accountant. Right. Do you think that that's a good question as I get completely off topic? Well, I was going to kind of go in that direction anyway. Good. But, Plow down that road. But, you know, unfortunately and not, not, you know, what I learned in college, maybe, Two percent of it carried over to what I'm actually doing now. Oh man, you that's know. bad. Now, now in my master's program, we did take tax specific classes, so that applied. But even some of that, you know, it's like we took a corporate income tax class, but they didn't teach you how to do a corporate income tax return. There was just a lot of theory. Figure now, it out on your own theory. Now it helped. You mean hypothesis, right? You know, so. So then how it works is, you know, your first year, hopefully less, sometime more, depending on how sharp you are, you know, you go into your job and basically what you're doing is you've got this tax return to prepare, but you have last year's work papers. So you almost use it as a cookbook and, you know, you're basically replicating it. In fact, I remember there were some people, it, it was to the point, you know, now, now this was 1995. So it's been a while. You know, so Windows was just coming around and, but, you know, uh, the the 10-key tape people were still using and people would be so worried about replicating the work papers that when they added up something, they'd tape the 10-key tape in the exact same spot is the prior year work paper. 
just because they didn't know. Okay. They were, so they're literally just trying to copy. Which was kind of how you had to do it to learn. So wow. then you do it. Okay. That makes sense. Then you start doing it. And then you start to understand it. And that's when, you know, it becomes second nature. Do you think it was necessary to go to six, seven years of school to uh, learn how to do this? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by necessary because you need a five year <laughs> you need a five year degree to become a CPA. Okay, so it has to be at least a five year. Yeah, it was four years when I went, but they've recently changed it. So in that regard, you need it to get the license, but you didn't necessarily need to go through all the stuff that they taught you to then do the job. Yeah. What, what, what could they possibly teach you? So how many years did you go to school? You got it. It was be, five and change, five and change. All right. So got your undergrad and your graduate degree in five and change. Does it really take five and change to learn how to be an accountant? Uh, probably not. Cause if I would have just, if you didn't need the CPA license, which you kind of do, which you do, you for sure. But, do. but if you didn't, if you worked, for somebody for a year and just learn the ropes and learn that would probably that would get you further than wait couldn't you just hire like some illegal immigrants to do the work for you and then put your name on it would that be okay well actually i have a better idea and and i don't know if he's going in this route but you know i have an 11 year old son so eventually he may be helping out with the business at some capacity maybe or maybe not child labor laws uh... (laughs) so he's got a few years and if that's the route he wants to go, I mean, we've had this conversation, although, you know, he and my ex-wife, and my ex-wife's very get good grades, go to college, whereas I, I, you know, if he told me, he's like, I don't know what I want to do. Join the club, kid. Join the club. You know, and then I would be open to him taking a year off. Now he's got to be doing something, but, you know, figure it out. Maybe pay for your room and board. You can do whatever you want, right? Yeah. You know, Subsist and, is a well, and he can even stay with animal. me. It's just you know have have a plan. Say I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to see if I like it, and then you know, or if he's thinking about going into the family business, then you know, okay, you can come work for me for a tax season, and I'll pay you, and you know we'll we'll treat it all you know as we should, and if you like it, great. I've had interns work for me. You but know, no, no illegal immigrants yet. No, it, although I don't Trump think lied. I really checked. But, <laughs> but wait a second, he did check. He was just kidding. They were all legal. But there was one. Well, the one lived down the street, <laughs> which is actually kind of funny. It's kind of a funny story because he lived down the street. He used to cut my grass. And then, is that like a cliche now? You know, in high school, and then he went off to college. And a couple of years later, I found out he was going into accounting. So I was like, okay. Small world. Well, if you want, you know, he was going to Oakland University, so he was still living at home. So I was like, well, if you want to get some, you know, real world, real world experience and, you know, a way to pad your resume, you know, you can come on over during tax season. I'll show you how to do a few things. You can do some work. And that May, he changed his major. <laughs> <laughs> to something other than accounting, yeah. probably. Right. But, you know, then I had an intern the next year that ended up going and getting her master's in tax, and now she's in the tax field. So, but, you know, you're better off doing that than 
going and getting your master's of tax, then starting to work. And then and find then, out you hate it. And then realizing, I don't like this. I got $50,000 in debt, <laughs> and I hate this, yeah. and my life sucks. You and know, and unfortunately, there's there's a lot of that that goes on because, okay. you know. So we have an interesting system the way it's set up where you have to choose what you're going to do before you've really done anything. Right. And well, incur debt in order to do it. It's very strange. Like, how? Why would anybody ever set it up this way? Now, you you knew you wanted to be a CPA or an accountant or something like that. Yeah, right? I mean, I thought I knew, and I stuck with it. So you must have yeah. known. Have you had any doubts? Like, what am I doing? Well, there was a short period of time where where I took some time off. I had a website baseball business going. Oh yeah, that's the TigerBlog. Yeah, right. Well, it was actually a little bit more than that. I mean, essentially, what ended up happening was uh, 2003. I started a fan site, tigerblog.net. I, I like baseball. I like to write, although I don't do too much of it anymore. But Yeah, so the last post is from 2013. Yeah, and there's actually a funny story because the only reason I did that was because somebody paid me to put some links in there. <laughs> but uh, Money. You know, so I start the website just for something to do. And... About a year later, I start getting emails. It was mostly, it wasn't StubHub specifically, but it was online ticket brokers. So you want tickets to the game. You know, it's a place where people post their tickets. Yeah. They sell them. This is back in the early days too. Yes. Well, and I don't know if we want to get into a whole discussion on search engine optimization, but, you know, back then it was all brute force. Yes. It was all... Number of links pointing to Number of links pointed to your site. So I had... I I had these ticket brokers paying me to just put links up on their site. They didn't care if people clicked through. They didn't care. It was all just for SEO juice. I remember that, yeah. And Back in the day. That's like, we did that in like 2007, 2008, and that changed like. that. Right. You know, so, so then I decided, well, maybe I can replicate this. So a couple hundred dollars turned in a few hundred that or a few hundred dollars turned into a couple thousand dollars. I was Hold like, on. okay, the, you know, this is kind of cool. I could make money writing about baseball. Yeah. So then I decide to start a second site under a pen name and I set up a separate email address and everything. So it looks like a completely different separate person. Did you argue with yourself? Sometimes I did. Actually, yeah, I love it. And that's, <laughs> well, and, it's, and I gave him his own persona. Yeah. So he was, you know, and uh, it was a Reds fan who lived in the Detroit area. Did you and, ever read Ender's Game? Yes. Was it like that? Ender's Game? Remember the brother and sister who uh, who wrote political blogs? They're little genius kids, oh. but they wrote them together. Okay, yes. Yeah, and one was like the Russian antagonist, and the other was like, I think one was Locke and one was... Um, okay. I can't remember. Maybe I don't know someone like that. So you were, but instead of having two, there there was one of you, and you're writing. Yes, I was writing from both sides. Yeah, you're writing from both sides. So you know, and the whole idea was, I'll email these same people that were paying me on the one site to see if they advertise on the second site, and and it worked. So then I decide to start another site. I was going to say there has to be three coming, right? Well, you know, so then what ended up happening? So in 2007. When I quit my job, it wasn't to do taxes. It was actually to do this. Because at that point in time, I had 45 sites. I had, you know, 20, 30 college kids writing for me. Jeez, you had a whole operation. Yeah. Guy. And, you know, it was 
job replacement money. And then what ended up happening, it was 2008. Yeah. It was the notorious Panda and Penguin updates from Google basically changed the model. You saw the, did you see the clouds on the horizon coming towards you? Dark. Sort of. Foreboding. Because what ended up happening was in late 2007, what they did, a lot of it came down to your Google ranking. So you had this, your website had this one through 10 ranking and it was basically your power with Google. And I forget which, it may have been the Google toolbar that showed you what your ranking was. So, you know, in late 2007, what Google decided to do was if they suspected you of doing this, I saw my fives go down to three. I saw my fours go down to two. So my ranking went away. But what ended up happening was the advertisers didn't care because now it's just like, okay, well, five is now three. So why do we care? Yeah. So nothing changed. So then what happened in 08, Google decided to go after the advertisers and basically what would happen is if they suspected you of and all these people were trying to do was game the system and get out of paying Google for Google AdWords and trying to game the algorithm so if they suspected you of trying to game it they you know some people went from second spot to 45 wow which basically means you don't exist yeah if you're not on the first page you practically don't exist some there were some companies that were actually wiped off completely so you couldn't even find them on google (laughs) so then it was just like this i remember within a one week span i i got all these emails saying we need you to take your all all these ads off we need you to take so i was like what's going on and you know sure enough i i knew a couple people better so i chatted with them about it and said you know what's going on and they're like well there's this big update and yeah and it basically now now i had gone back to working on a contractual basis so you know, I was making money in another capacity, but that's that's sort of what happened there. This is like your black hat Google Empire. Yeah, <laughs> you had college kids working for you, and it, and it was how many websites? Forty five. Forty five. Industrious, Brian. Very industrious. So there was one for each major league team, so that's thirty. There were ten minor league sites, and then like some specialty sites. Do you still have all those, or most them of them? I go? don't. Most of them I don't. I kept a few, but, you know, at that point, and, and it kind of limped along for a while because a few people still did pay me, but it wasn't job replacement money. It was like... Yeah, it was like latte money or beer money or something like that, right? I mean, it was a nice little chunk of money, but it wasn't something that I could live on, so... That's quite the little empire you had going right there. What, what was your, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. your gross? Your, what was your gross? Probably the top... So the, my top year was probably 06, which was, or no, it was 07. It was the year that I went and did this full time. I think it was like 65. That's not bad. 65,000? Yeah. What, what do you think your expenses were? 10 grand? 10 maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty good. That's not bad for your first year. And then, of course, 2008 all came apart. We all shook right. right off the machine. And, and I had made money before that. Yeah, you built up to it, right? Right. Let's see, two thousand three. But I was working. Yeah, but I was yeah. working, so it was probably something like two, uh, five, fifteen, thirty-five, sixty-five, somewhere, something like that. Do you know anybody else who 
did anything like that? You know, there were some people that did, but not, I, as far as I know, not to that extent. You know, there were some people that were trying to make money off of it in that way, but I don't think anybody tried to blow it up. And I also kind of kept it on the download because kind of like with the red site, each site had its own author. Yeah. So it looked like a different person. Yeah, it wouldn't work if everybody knew, right? But at that point, I was selling package deals. Well, you know, so... So your advertisers knew then, right? My advertisers, I managed it. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, some it would be just a site-by-site basis. Some would be, you know, hey, do you want to advertise on all 30 sites? And they'd give me, you know, a few grand. That's pretty amazing that you... You, so you just accidentally put this together just by putting together a fan site. You're like, hey, yep. I want to do this fan That's like site. starting a podcast. Yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> hey, somebody will give me money to do this. Yes. Yeah. You know. 48 sites later, army of uh, hopefully underpaid college students. Or No, I'm sure you paid them very well. I paid them. Yeah. I mean, they, but then again, and it's funny how, you know, I mean, not, I'm sure our older generation thought the same thing of us, but it was like, I mean, you literally had to write maybe for an hour or two a week. Yeah, Socrates bitched about the next generation too. I yeah. just think this is what this is what uh, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah. Old people bitch about young people. Yeah. That's just what we do. And it's some did a really good job, but then others didn't. Mm. Only a couple would last like the people that started at the very beginning of the year, only like two or three made it through the end so and then after that you're like oh shit i guess i'm back to this tax accounting stuff again right that's that's pretty much what happened so you know that fizzled up and the whole idea was i can either look for a job or i can start the tax practice so i kind of did both but i also kind of sabotaged my job chances because while i wasn't divorced at the time things were going south so you were working up to it you're building well, up to it. Yeah, and, you know, anytime I'd go on a job interview, it would be, you know, well, I need to basically come in whenever I want. And, you know, and, you <laughs> yeah, know, that usually doesn't go over too well. There were always conditions, you know, I couldn't work a straight nine to five because this day I got to go pick up my son at three. And, you know, so that usually excluded me from the the more narrow minded managers, which is probably most of them but. i was gonna say all of them <laughs> so you're like wait we own you son from nine to five you're ours so and i have seen some weird stuff in the corporate environment too so you know just like uh, the whole flex time you know well can i start an hour earlier and a starter uh, and go leave an hour earlier and that being next for whatever reason because it's not standard business hours yeah, and somebody you, may call from four to five so whatever yeah i have a cell phone you know they, they could still call from four to five and i will still i will still answer that phone call mr employer yeah, it's interesting how employers get all worked up about it not to go back too far and yeah i want to tackle this head on i know we got out a little no, sidetrack. This is why I love doing this. I get to uncover all these little nooks and crannies and little different ideas. So, um, obviously, if you hear the clicking or, or whatever on on this, Brian actually had to go through several years yep. of speech therapy, and I imagine it's probably quite a, a bad stutter. Tell me, tell me the story of of what it was like, how you worked through it, and you made a big claim that I that I really liked, where you said that your speech therapy taught you to listen first 
speak second. And it's helped served you in your business life as well. So after you kind of, well, actually, that's not as much my speech therapy. That's just me. Oh, did I interpret that wrong? Maybe, or maybe I wrote it wrong. But, I'll go you with know, you wrote it. No, I'm just kidding. I must have interpreted that wrong. But you know, essentially, I read into it. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're we're talking about first through seventh grade. So it's a long time. So if you talk funny, kids make fun of you. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure adults still do, right? Yeah. Fuckers. Well, no, actually, nobody does. Not to your face, anyway. You know, but I'm you know six one. Yeah. So. <laughs> What'd <laughs> so, you say? <laughs> so, but uh, he grew up, and uh, so the easiest way to not get made fun of was not to talk. Ah. So. You just didn't talk. I just didn't talk that much. And it's almost weird because, you know, and I've read a little bit about it since then, but, you know, sometimes it's almost like a seasonal thing. It's like some, there'll be like a two month period of time where I stutter more than other times during the year. And then there's other times where I'm just on my game. So, So every once in a while, you know, they'll, I was always the person that like would never raise my hand to volunteer to read. But then every once in a while, I'd have like, I call it like a a hot streak. And I'd actually volunteer, and the teacher would be like, What? You know, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, so you didn't have the teacher who picked you anyway, just uh, every once in a while he would. And, but you know, they, they were cool about it, but you know, so, you know, it was just something I had to work through. And well, how do, how does one have a stutter? I know it's maybe a little <sighs> off topic. I don't want to get too much into it, but and I'm this not is exactly something you had sure. to overcome, so I want to make sure I talk about it, right? It's got something to do, and I don't know the science behind it. It's It's got something to do with your brain working faster than your mouth and your mouth not being able to keep up. Okay. And what did the therapy, um, and how did the therapy? Uh, uh, like a few things be- is breathing. You know, you, breathing before you talk helps and just doing things like that. You know, some, and then I developed my own tricks. So, you know, I had problems with certain letters. Ironically, B is one of the letters I had the most hard time with. So, so introducing myself was always, yeah. So introducing myself was, damn it. Yeah. Why mom? Why dad? So why not Frank? But, uh, you know, so just starting a sentence with a letter that I don't have as hard of a time with, you know. And then kind of roll with it. Yeah. But you had to do, what, six years of speech yeah, therapy? it was probably six or seven, yeah. What did you, I mean, how do you, what did you practice? Certainly it couldn't just all be breathe first. It was techniques and just practicing and going through everything. And I don't really remember because it was such a long time ago. But I remember it helping. Well, yeah, obviously. We're having a conversation right now and you can... Probably only because we're recording on high-end stuff right. would you even really be able to tell. If right. this was on a phone, I doubt somebody would be able to tell. So I don't want to beat it to death, but it is something you had to overcome. Yeah, and I'm, I'm more self-conscious about it because I'll even bring it up. I'll be like, hey, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but I stutter. And most people are like, no, I never noticed. No. So it's like I recognize it, but I'm, you know, I'm over it, but I still – Recognize it. Yeah, well, and I don't want to beat it to death or anything yeah. like that, but this is something, this is a challenge you had early in life. And I remember how cruel children could be because their parents are cruel and what that, what that was like. Um, do you think that made having to go through, go through that? What, what kind of person do you think that made 
you? Did it impact your childhood? Did it impact how you approach things as an adult? Anything like that? Uh, I always had friends, so it wasn't really, you know, it it didn't impact me so much other than, you know, some of the speech therapy lessons, you know, slow down and, you know, just kind of see what's going on and, you know, that kind of stuff. I know that didn't make much sense, but that's okay. How bad was your stutter when, before you started? It was pretty bad. Okay. You know, and again, it was certain words, certain times. So, you know, I could go through certain periods of time and it was never an issue. And then, you know, sometimes it would be really bad. Mm. Obviously it worked. You got through it. Yeah. Moved on. And even if it does happen now, it doesn't bother me anymore. Well, no, I mean, get over it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So moving right along, I like to congratulate you on that, by the way. Thank I you. Think, uh, that's, you know, I'm always looking for people who don't come up with excuses to suck in life. And obviously getting dealt a hand where you stutter right out of the gate, especially in elementary school. Kids are fucking ruthless right out of elementary school. Any weakness. Right. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too fat. You sound funny. You look funny. You dress funny. You smell funny. At least that was for me. They just, they're like wolves. They're all on you. So when the whole thing's kind of interesting, I I met up with uh, some people I know from high school, and it's just interesting how people still harbor resentment to what happened to them then. I mean, we were all stupid in high school. Absolutely. So, so it's like, you know, I'm not going to judge you based on what you did 25 years ago. You're a better man than I am, Brian. So, <laughs> well, and everybody changes, so, you know. Did you go back for any of your high school reunions or? Uh, 25. 25. Or no, 20. 20. Yeah. So that would have been 2009. We didn't have a 25 year. And that that's where I kind of reconnected with a lot of people from high school. So, and it's funny because I kept a lower profile and a lot of my friends didn't go to the high school. I hung out more with neighborhood friends. A lot of people didn't remember who I was. So, mm. but, oh, well. Good. <laughs> yeah. Remember me now. Yeah. So 2008, your 2007-2008, your run mm-hmm. as baseball link king with your college students and your, was it 48 website empire? 45. 45 website empires coming to the end. You're out applying for jobs and picking up some business on the side. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to do this business, tax accounting. I think that's when I met you, 2008 or 2009? It was probably 2009, because what ended up happening was I also took some real estate investing classes. Ah, that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, so the uh, the rich dad classes. Okay. It was a smaller package, and it was still pretty expensive. But How much know, was that one? Uh, I ended up splitting it with a friend, and it was about ten grand. That's not bad. Dude, I did, just to make you feel better, I did the... Uh, my wife and I did the $50,000 Robert Allen, okay, which was a complete and total fucking waste of money, by the way. Well, the way I look at it was, you know, I later found out that there's better ways to do it. But I don't think I would have known how to recognize the better ways had I not paid the tax, the $10,000. You have a very positive attitude, Brian. So, so you know, but, you know... But that also helped spring. And, you know, one of the things that they tell you to do at all these classes is go to RIAs. Yes. So that was how, you know, the connection ended up being made, you know. And then it was just that much easier because I knew what wholesaling was. I know I knew what lease options were. I knew the lingo. 
and I knew the tax side and not ah, okay. many tax people do. Plus, I worked in the real estate industry at my last full-time job. Okay, so when you took those classes, were you thinking about become a real, becoming a real estate investor? or was I your, was. Okay. I was. So that was your primary goal, and yes. then it became... Or I was at least interested in it. Yeah. And yeah, that was curious. the goal. Yes. Enough to spend five grand. Yes. Right. That's pretty, that's pretty serious. So... Um, and then you kind of fell into, because you kind of cornered, what I'm getting at in a long roundabout way is you kind of cornered the local, yeah, the professional local real estate right. investment, investment tax world. Right. right. You handle, not everybody's, but a, a good large, majority, yeah. yeah or, a, or a good chunk of people. Yeah. A, a decent chunk of people. Most people I know use you, right? So how, was that a plan that you had or how did you, how did you do that? That was sort of the, well... What what ended up happening was at the same time I was trying – so I'm taking the real estate classes. Right. I'm trying to build up my tax practice. You know, I'm going through a divorce. Oh. So I'm just trying to like – at that point I'm trying to pay the bills. So it was sort of a dual – it was almost like a double benefit. Okay, I'm going to go to these RIAs to connect with people to learn about real estate investing – but along the way... Oh, by the way, I do taxes. Yeah, I do taxes as well. And it wasn't immediate. I mean, it was probably a good year before people started moving over to me. But you Who's know, your first um, client, if you don't mind sharing? Probably Dennis Fassett. Okay. So, and he was probably... He was before that. He, we'll call him an outlier. And then, you know, it just kind of went from there... You know, I don't know if you know who John Hire is. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, he had some turnover at his firm. From what I understand, this is all secondhand information. Oh no, there and, was turnover. Yeah, yeah. and, and I won't that go into it, but there and, was turnover, and that created an opportunity for me. I mean, not, and I don't, I'm not a hard sell guy. You know, so my approach is, you know what I do. So if you need my help, you know where to find me. Well, you came to every meeting for a long time. It was too. a while. You were yeah. relentless. Yeah. So, and you built that up. And and for the record, I, I'm not saying anything bad about John Hire. I know he had a business partner that went bad too. So, and yes. I don't know the whole story. That's why I'm saying it was a turnover, and I don't know it, so I don't want to. Well, and in John Hire's defense too, you know, every return, you know, so you know, part of the process is looking at the prior year's return. You know, he he did a, a quality job. Every return, I can't say that's the case for everybody you know other other accountants but yeah. a john higher return was a quality it, it was done well yeah i just don't want people listening yes. to think that maybe we're trying to gloss over no. saying i don't think he i don't necessarily know he did anything good and or bad i do know he had a bad partner and there was a change and it created a lot of opportunity for people right. like brian so because things went poorly for reasons that were probably outside of his control that's how i understood it too yeah so I just realized this is a blog and, or podcast and people listen to him like, wait a second. I better clear that up. I don't yeah. want to say some shit like that. Right. It's yeah. Have them thinking, Ooh, Jeremy said, I don't know. It probably had nothing to do with him. I know he's doing well now too. So. Well, I know John's, I don't know him personally, but I mean, it's funny because way back before podcasting even became popular, Wendy Patton had her, had a podcast that was more of a, a sales podcast, but he would be on there occasionally. So I knew about him before any of this stuff I didn't came know about. Wendy had a podcast. Yeah. Why'd she stop doing it? I don't know. This was, like I said, this would have been 
oh, what, like two, eight, two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand. Have to go back and look it up. That's Wendy Patton. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's the lease option queen. Yep, Sue Brian's talking about. So, so anyway, you start coming. You go, rich dad, poor dad. You're interested in, in investing in real estate. Yep. Going through a divorce. Oh, by the way, I do taxes too. Right. So you came to Renegade Detroit Investors. Did you go to all the RIAs? Or? Uh, I went to the Oakland RIA for a short period of time. Uh, I think I went to was it the Novi RIA, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know if it does. There was a Novi RIA, but I only went to like one meeting. Yeah. But that was pretty much it. It's hard getting meetings going and keeping them going and yeah. keeping people coming to yep. them too. It's a challenging thing. So... So once you started getting, um, you kind of cornering this market, and, and I want to make sure we talk about the other things too. So, how did you corner this? Because it's, I don't want to name names necessarily, um, but I know at least a dozen people. Yeah. Who who use you, right? Well, at that point, it's all word of mouth. Okay. I mean, now you know, and and uh, and that's pretty much all it is now. I mean, and that's usually the easiest way to get business is just do a good job and people will talk to you. I've also, a few people have mentioned me on Bigger Pockets. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about Bigger Pockets. No, we can talk about whatever we want. Okay. Man. We can talk about Bigger Pockets. Well, no, I know they have they have some weird. Yeah, fuck them. Okay. Yeah, they can listen to this podcast and come back and suck my white ass <laughs> is what they can do. We're allowed to say the name Bigger Pockets. Yeah. So. Yeah. So but. So you do some? Did you do some blogging on Bigger Pockets? No, I didn't. But just some people, you know, people post saying I need a tax guy, and you know, other people have said talk to Brian, and those posts are still there to this day. So every once in a while, I'll just get somebody saying, "Hey, I saw you on Bigger Pockets." So do you have like um, an advertising, or, or how do you how do you get your leads in the door? I know you used to go to all the RIAs. You kind of corner that. How do you develop leads? How do you get leads in? How do you how do you do your lead management? The big thing that I found now that works well, you know, so the biggest source of of leads is word of mouth or referrals. referrals. Yeah, do so a good referrals. job. Do you ask yeah. for referrals or sometime? You know, you know, sometime. So, dude, you got to ask. Why are you not asking? No, and I I do eventually. Okay, you know, I don't push it. No, you got to push it, man. Well, you're such a nice guy. So. I know. Fuck me. Who, who am I? I'm not a tax guy. You got to ask stuff. everybody. I haven't heard somebody say a bad, except for maybe your ex-wife. I haven't heard anybody say a bad word about you. Okay. So. Well, that's good. It is good. You but, can't say the same about me. So, you know, that's that's sort of the first thing. And that's actually gotten better because, you know, is is your, you know, I probably did over 300 returns this year. Oh, my God. So, you know. It's like one or two a day. You don't work on Saturdays or Sundays, do you? It would be nice if, if I could just do one a day. Doesn't and work then, like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is how dumb I am. I have no idea. What, you could just do one and then move on to the other one? That'd be nice. Yeah, no. It's all crammed into these into these deadlines. But, you know, but as your pool expands, the potential for referrals expands as well. So now I'm not, you know, I'm not working from a pool of 50. I'm working from a pool of 200 to to 300 people. Uh, the other thing that I've been doing that that works well is, you know, like Google, although they've changed it recently because it used to be tied into your Google Plus page, oh, God. your Google Plus business page. I'm glad page. they changed that. I kind of liked it, 
only because I knew how it worked. Now I don't quite know how it works, so I'm kind of, but, you know, if you're looking for a CPA in Waterford, you know, if you type in a Google search for CPA Waterford, Michigan, you get five firms. I mean, and I just checked this uh, either yesterday or or today because I was curious so I can tell you. So there's two firms and then me and then two firms that get highlighted. So you're on the first page. Which, yeah, but there's not a ton of CPAs in Waterford. So, But the key is, is the first two people have no reviews. The last two people have no reviews. I have 12 one-star, 12 one-star, 12 five-star reviews. 12 five-star. And I yeah. actually looked through that. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's BrianCPA.com, BrianCPA.com. You can also go to Facebook dot com forward slash brian cpa he has a facebook fan page there hit him up on twitter at brian cpa mi for michigan at brian cpa mi or give him a call 248-346-4732 so you got referrals and then you know i don't even need the, the 12 the 12 five-star reviews because on yelp i have two five-star reviews but if you look at the 10 closest CPAs, none of them have any reviews. So just the fact that you have one five-star review makes you stand out. So just getting people to go. And I also have testimonials on my website. That's what I was going to That's So I noticed that you had a little spot to say, hey, look, other people, third-party information, basically. So there's, you know, that's sort of the chain. They find me on Google or they find me on Yelp. Then they go to my website, see the testimonials there. And it, you know that that gets me some calls as well. And you have a fair number of blogs. I did a, I spent about an hour, clicked okay. through, read a bunch of them, kind of went through. Um, I know you haven't blogged as much of late. Is that because it's still working or three hundred tax returns probably? Uh, well, it's been the cuts time. Into the you know, so this is time. this is the time period. So October fifteenth was the last big deadline. Sorry, it's another monster time, folks. Yeah. So, you know, after October 15th, now this is my couple months. I plan on blogging more. We'll see if it actually happens. I need to do that because I have some ideas and, I, and I'm always coming up with ideas. But So what do you think of those road signs where they talk about um, CPAs? You know, they have the – have you seen those, the road signs where higher um, – Hire business professional because we're business professionals. CPA, it's like some sort of. Oh, uh, is it like an advertisement for just CPAs in general? Yeah, no, it's like a professional group or something. Well, there is a Michigan. Okay, I guess anything like that. I I don't think so. Yeah, that strikes me as 1950s. Yeah, like hey, look, hire. I I don't know. And you're embracing the internet, social media, blogging, reviews. And these all these other firms with you, not one, you know. Not well, and it's one. funny, you know. The, this may come as a surprise to people, but CPAs aren't always the most creative people in the world. <laughs> That's a shocker. So you know, whereas I don't know if it's my left-handed, right brain mentality, but you know, I well, the whole and some of it stems back to the baseball website stuff too. It's you know, SEO and use you know. I mean, taking all these tools in your toolbox and saying, you know, what works. I mean, I've seen some really weird promotions. Probably one of the oddest is, and I, eh, I don't even want to say where it's at. 
I don't want to point. <laughs> but I drive by this tax prep place, and they have this big sign on their window, and it says 30% off, or maybe it's $30, your tax return. And then in smaller letters, it says, first-time clients only. Oh, God, I hate that. So, you know, and I'm like, well... So you repeat customers you just go fuck themselves basically yeah, yeah that's what i'm thinking i'm like what, I mean, you know what are they thinking but you know that's not just them though there are a lot of right yeah so we're not we're not we're not ganging up on you cpas so, or the firms it's just but they're but there's not a lot of creativity no and a lot of them don't even market well i guess when you have a license and you have to you know so it's you know i've been in business for 30 years now I've built up my client base. I'm, you know, they're probably living on referrals at that point. Mm. And why market? Why have a yeah, blog? Why right. be on the internet? Right. I don't know because you want to be better. You want to get more well, business. And it's also about helping people out too. You know, I mean, you shouldn't have to spend two, three hundred dollars to sit down with a CPA when it's something that you can easily find in a four or five paragraph blog post on somebody's website. Yeah, in theory. I so, do notice there's that old school approach to, um, and I bump into this every now and then, I'm, and I won't mention names where, I don't want to say old school, I guess it's not old school, it's the share ideas, yes. not share ideas. Right. You know, yep. these things are things I covet yeah. and I withhold from other people. And these are things I share with the world. Obviously, I got a podcast of YouTube. Mm-hmm. You, I'm on the side with you. Or I'm on the share side yeah. and have a genuine relationship. But it's interesting to see how many companies and people stick to this kind of... Uh, well, it's it. the whole, and I'm trying to think of the right word, scarcity mentality yes. versus what's the, what's, the, what's the good side? Oh, abundance. Abundance, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, if somebody calls me, they have a question... Whether I know them or not, I'll listen to them talk for five, ten minutes. I'll try to answer their question, and I'm not going to send them a bill. The hope is is that come January or February, they remember. They and, remember BrianCPA.com. Yeah, and then they use me to have them prepare their taxes. So referrals. And if they don't, then Google, Google. sort of website type. SEO stuff, yeah. blogging, and then reviews. And that's yeah. how you've got most of your... Yeah. I mean, and I've experimented with some other things. Most of them, you know, in every once in a while, a charity will have a directory with ad paid advertisements. If it's a friend of mine, I'll, I'll donate. But at the end of the day, I don't expect to get anything out of it because I usually don't. Yeah, I found those things don't work at all. No, they don't. Just donate the money if you want to donate the money. And that's what yeah. that's what I end up doing. It's There's like, nothing okay. wrong with donating the money. So, uh, you know, I've I've tried doing some things on Craigslist, and that didn't work well. Now, I've heard some people have had success on there, but maybe it was just what I was doing or not doing it long enough or, or whatnot. But that didn't seem to work well. Uh, you know, a few radio ads even. But that's so random. I don't like random advertising anymore. I'm more of a, you know, okay, let's target. Yeah, as specific as possible. Yes. Not the masses. You know, I've tried doing a little bit of direct mail, but I didn't stick with it long enough to 
really be able to – I didn't get anything out of it, but it, I don't think it – it may not have been because it didn't doesn't work. It may be more because I just didn't stick with it and – you know, or 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 my copy was just bad. I think you need to brag more. Okay, that's what I think you need to do. Well, here's my sales pitch for bragging. Okay, and what do we call it? Humble brag. And then, yeah. Then okay. Gary Vaynerchuk come up with that or something? Oh, did he? Okay. Humble brag, right? Humble brag. Who has raving reviews about their fucking tax guy? Isn't this the time of year that I'm? I hate fucking taxes. I hate taxes. I begrudge every amount of time. Almost every single tax person I've ever worked with, I've hated working with them. And I don't think my experiences are unique, but there's nobody out there in the space saying, yeah, all these other ass clowns suck, but I'm the, I'm the right one, you know, and you have all these, I don't know, maybe consider the humble brag or whatever. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I've also found people are weird about their taxes and I know that's a general statement, but you know, I've had people tell me that they go to their CPA and their or their tax preparer or whoever, and they they're treated so poorly that they leave in tears. Oh my God! Yet they still go back to that person every year because, you know, I think I had one person who thought they had got they had been audited several years ago. Well, under this new CPA, they hadn't been audited, so she thought that they were doing some magic. Superstition, yeah. You know, I think it's also just not wanting, you know, to change. But yeah, it's a miserable experience, but it could be a better experience. Well, and you know, a lot of times, and this is where I try to accommodate people. It's like you don't even have to. I've done taxes for people I haven't met yet. They email me their stuff, scan it, email it, I get it done. I have some people that snap pictures of their W-2s and send it to me via tax. <laughs> now, now that can't be a real complicated return. Yeah, but, yeah. You but, better you not know, have 350 houses and you're texting me pictures. Right. Of, yeah, that's not going to work. Well, right. And, and then eventually then I'm like, just stop. But, <laughs> but uh, Wait, I own this house too. You know, I, I, I used to make more house calls, but as I've gotten busier, that gets more challenging. Well, you brought up an interesting point, too. You kind of glossed over it. I'm just going to hone right in on it. Okay. It is kind of like going through your underwear drawer, right? Yeah. Because you are sending, I mean, besides your underwear drawer, what's more personal than all your bank accounts, all your assets, all your liabilities? Well, and sometimes I don't need to know all that. It depends on, if it's a real estate investor, then yeah. Yeah. So if we're focusing on that. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to know what, I'm going to need to know at least to do it accurately what what all is going on yeah you're gonna know you're gonna know more about them than their cousin yeah than their brother their brother-in-law sister-in-law most people you you know a lot about them this is what amazes me about this they'll just send this information to anybody and nobody's really kind of honing in on the space and do you think that um, your industry is ripe for disruption in the same way that, like, Castle is trying to disrupt the property management uh, business and well, the internet? The internet's just decimating multiple industries yeah. right now, right? I think it's fairly safe. I mean, right now, you know, you still have the big H&R blocks, and they're up on all this. So they're always – I mean, they're billion-dollar advertising budgets, so they're going to – they're going to make sure that things sort of sort of stay 
the way they want it to stay. So then it's just a matter of seeing what they're doing and just at least on a smaller scale, making sure you're able to get your piece of the pie. Seems like that'd be pretty easy based upon how terrible the experiences are in a lot of these places. Well, it's funny that you say that, but it also comes back to the whole thing that I just said where people just don't switch. Mm. You know, I or or they don't take it to people that they don't necessarily know. There was a woman that I was working with. You know, she she has no industry experience, but you know, she wanted to make a few extra bucks. And I said, "Okay, I'll Every client you refer, I'll I'll give you a little piece of the pie. Well, she had some people that were interested, but they misunderstood. They thought she was actually doing the taxes. She doesn't know how to do taxes, but when they found out that it was somebody that they didn't know, they weren't interested anymore. What? It, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Humans so, are strange creatures. Yeah. That's all I can say. Humans are strange creatures. So, Pop question. Does anybody actually understand taxes? Yeah, but... You think so? But you also have to understand that a big part of taxes, there's a lot of gray. So, you know, we can talk about what you can deduct, but if the IRS ever came in, they may not care anyway. Why to a certain extent. so complicated? Like, in the perfect world, I would say your job should be irrelevant, right? Yeah. Like why yeah. not you obviously but Right. No, work. I know what you mean. Yeah, you're like why do I need to hire somebody who spends their entire life reading through all these rules, right? I imagine it's something you have to do yearly, right? To a certain extent it doesn't change as much as you think. At least the the stuff that changes isn't always relevant to say you or I. Okay. There may be changes, but it may be to the research and development tax credit, which really only applies to, you know, GM and, and the big companies. I Fortune mean, 500. Yeah. Stuff, right. I mean, where, where, where you run into problems is, could we have a simpler tax code? Yes. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you want to steer on politics, but all the way, baby, let's but, go full. Let's dive right in. But the tax codes, all politics. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, why should, you be able to deduct your mortgage interest when the next person can't deduct their rent. Well, that's a good question. The no, well, there's an easy answer. The National Association of Realtors has a much <laughs> a much larger lobbying presence than you know the how independent rental been, markets. How long have you been able to write that off? Has that always been? Yeah, that that's been around for a long time. Yeah, I think things become enshrined. It's almost like religion. Like, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean I can't? No, yeah. you're going to destroy my my future. The future is crumbling. I can't write off my mortgage and my interest. Well, and it's funny if you do the math, it's actually not as relevant anymore because yeah. the standard deduction's gotten so much higher. So you know, you have a choice between itemizing or taking the standard deduction, and the the standard deduction for a married couple is twelve thirteen thousand dollars. So now you need all your other deductions to add up to more than that. Most of the time, that's not the case. To even get well, and even if it does, say it's fourteen. Say my itemized deductions is fourteen instead of thirteen. Well, if seven of that's mortgage interest, I'm not getting a tax benefit for seven thousand. I'm really only getting the tax benefit of that thousand over the top, which isn't much of a benefit. Which is a few hundred bucks. So you know, it, it's it gets overblown, and and it all comes down to. 
who has the biggest voice. And that's why, you know, anything happens and like politics. passing out party favors, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. These apes voted for me. So they get tax deductions. And then the next one gets in. These apes voted for me. They get tax deductions. Well, and I'm oversimplifying and generalizing. So I realize that folks. Well, and, 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 and it's the lobbying presence too. Yeah. So, you know, once you're there, you're getting wined and dined by the lobbyists, you know, you're going to not necessarily bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah, it's a good gig if you can get it, right? Yeah. So Get paid going in, paid going out. So let's see if we can't just – we're not going to dive too deep in on any of this stuff because I want this to be a timeless mm-hmm. podcast. Yep. As relevant three years from now or five years from now as it is today. But – Obviously, you're a necessary part of anybody's real estate investing career or you wouldn't exist. Right. Right. So why shouldn't people do their own business taxes if you have a real estate business? I know I'll put you on the spot just like that. Yeah, I know. And and I guess to sort of take a step back. No problem. You can take a running jump. The, the key to, we'll call it a successful tax return, is being as organized as possible. You know, if you're using multiple bank accounts, multiple credit lines, which some real estate investors do be- oh, yeah. because they have to, uh, you know, it gets a little tricky. A lot of the CPA's job isn't necessarily, you know, I know the tax code. It's almost getting you organized and making sure that when they get a product, because you have to usually provide a product of some sort for me to prepare your taxes, unless I'm doing the books for you, then it's, okay, what have you missed? You know, whether it's, I don't see a cell phone bill on here, whereas, oh, I pay for that out of my personal account. Well, you you can deduct it, at least some of it. And it's just recognizing and being able to see what the client can't see and getting them organized. There are some people that probably could do their taxes on their own. And Well, I'm sure we're all capable of and it. And they right? probably – well, just because they've – they have their system down. They're organized. Some people shouldn't. <laughs> me well and yeah that's not my strong suit but then in the same vein you're not you're also not making any money doing your books or your taxes so you know one one of my selling points is you're not paying me to do your taxes it's like me paying somebody to clean my house you're paying me to give you more time that's a good point so it's a time thing as well and and it's sometimes harder to get across to just, you know, I'll call it a regular person who, you know, family of four with a couple W-2s and they work, you know. You want to do your taxes, go ahead. In fact, the people that have always done their taxes on their own can sometimes be the most challenging client because they have a hard time letting go. Oh, yeah. But then there's other people that they just don't want to deal with it. And there's 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 things that, I don't want to deal with either. I pay somebody to cut my grass. I can cut my grass. I just don't like doing it, and I don't want to spend the time doing it. No, I understand. But so let's not let's not oversimplify. Okay, it's way easier to cut somebody's grass 
than it is to do somebody's real estate. That's true. Taxes. That's true. At least, and to still avoid jail and keep clients. Right. Right. You got to be competitive. You got to know your shit. You know, and it's just identifying things to make sure that the client's paying as little as they legally can. What are some of the biggest challenges you think? Obviously, number one is being organized. Right? Yeah, that that's usually what it that that's usually one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and that's the easiest way to miss deductions. So, you know, if you're if I don't know about it, can't deduct it. I can't deduct it. Yeah. So, but there now there's some things that I'm usually looking for, but I don't know everything, and I you know. I guess I could put together a hundred point list, but you know, it's, if you're running things through an LLC, you have a separate bank account. You have ideally a separate credit card. If you have those two things, that's 95% of your bookkeeping right there. If not a hundred percent, if you're doing everything correctly. Yeah. Let's, let's slow that down here. Okay. Cause what we're talking about now is separating yourself from your business, right? Having a separate Either an LLC, S Corp, right. C Corp, some other entity, not a sole proprietorship. Right. You're not doing business in your own name. You have an account in that because you get an EIN number, right? Right. Which is like a social security number for a business. Yes, yeah, is exactly what it is. Yep. And then you have a line of credit and you try and keep everything separate. The reality of the situation is, though, most people don't really operate like that. Correct. They should. Right. I'm one of those people at the time. Not anymore, but guilty as charged, right? Yeah. Multiple bank accounts, some business, some personal. Yep. All that jazz. Well, and sometimes you do what you got to do. Yeah. And and that's, you know, and while it makes the process more difficult, I also understand. It's like, okay, then it's up to me to say, well, you need to do this, you need to do this. And a lot of people just keep doing it the way they did it, which is fine, too. Well, sometimes it's not fine because sometimes yeah. you also have to be careful. You know, I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into like uh, legal liability protection with the LLCs, but we should let's dive in. Yeah, well, and I also think not that's too over. in depth. Folks, contact a licensed professional, but we are going to talk a little bit about this because it's yeah. important. Okay. Yeah, although it may not be as important as you think, I'll, I'll be interested to see if you're surprised by what I think about the whole thing. Let's dive into it. So, uh, this will be interesting. Well, you know, the whole LLC, you know, I'm going to create the shield and I'm going to be protected from lawsuits and whatnot is, in my opinion, way overrated. Well, I can tell you it's bullshit. Yeah. I was on the receiving end of. Yeah. I mean, if 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 you hurt me and you have an LLC, I'm still suing you. Yeah. I may not succeed, but I'm still going to try. Yeah. And you can absolutely ruin my life or make it as difficult as possible for me, depending on how much money you want to spend in yeah. the legal system, right? So, And that's whether you're a person or an LLC or an escort or anything. You know, and that also assumes that you have separate bank records, that, you're, that you have a decent operating agreement, that you're dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's, and you're doing exactly everything the way you're supposed to do it. Okay, let's say you do do that. That's fine. I still think that your biggest asset protection is going to be your insurance. If you're properly insured and... What kind of insurance? Well, you know, it would be if you're doing rental properties, it would be, you know... Liability. 
Well, the yeah, uh, renters insurance yeah. or whatever it's called. You know, an umbrella policy would also be recommended just to give you a little bit extra protection. But if you're properly insured, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. And the other easiest way, you know, and is to just try to make sure you don't get sued. Yeah, that would help. You know, just do things to put yourself into a position. You know, if you have a runner, keeping tabs on the runner, you know, maybe sending them regular updates or asking them, hey, is everything okay? So then if they email you back and they say, yeah, everything's fine, and then a month later they're suing you, well, you've got an email saying, you told me everything was fine. So, you know, that that's going to get you a lot further than setting up an LLC. Now, there are tax reasons that you might want to set something up into an LLC or a corporation, and there's two different kind of corporations, but that's more, you know advanced i guess i mean we can talk about that a little bit i guess let's dive into it. let's dive in the whole thing now we do not have to go over specifics but obviously asset protection is something a real estate investor is concerned about obviously taxes is something a real estate investor is concerned about and they and it's interesting how they both don't necessarily go together sometimes the best way to protect your money isn't the best way to save on taxes right and also Vice versa, right? The, the, the corollary is sometimes saving the most on taxes leaves you potentially open, depending on who you talk to, right? To other liability. So we are talking really about opinions. Please, again, in fact, I'm going to do it again because now Brian has me thinking about it in no way, shape, or form. Is this Did anything disclaimer? I, my guests, say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decisions. That you contact the lawyer and other licensed professionals. Don't fucking sue me. All right. So now that we're going into this, disclaimer aside, right? What are some of the benefits of having a separate legal entity? Well, it it depends on which one they are. So a single-member LLC is probably the one that's most utilized. And there's actually no benefit. No benefit to a single-owner LLC. Because a single-member LLC is treated as a disregarded entity, and it's basically treated as if you have no entity for tax purposes. So, you know, it it formalizes things, it makes things nice because you can can, can compartmentalize it, but it really doesn't give you any special tax benefits. Uh, So you want a multi-member LLC if you can. Not necessarily. Okay, here we go. Curveball. So, you know... What what it a lot of times what it comes down to is your investing strategy. So, if you're holding rentals, then I do recommend a single member LLC because that's where you want everything to be. You don't want to be holding rentals into a corporation because the rules can get pretty nasty. If you buy a house, sell it twenty years from now, have a big gain. You need the money. You have to pull it out. You basically get hit twice on the on the proceeds, not the, not just the gain. So it can be pretty bad. Uh, you also want to make sure that if you're doing rentals and you're doing, I guess, flips, flips, wholesales, anything less than a year, would you say? Yeah, I mean, wholesale is sort of a totally different animal anyway. But let's 
let's stick with flips because okay. wholesale is almost like a commission yeah. based. Whereas flipping, you're actually taking title and then selling it. Uh, in less than a year too, right? In most instances. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing it right, it is yeah. less than a year. If you're not fucking it up. <laughs> or maybe it's a so, huge project that takes that long to new construction, right? Right. Yeah. You can do your flips in a separate entity. You, you want to kind of separate your rentals from your flips. Why is that? Uh, there's something called the dealer rules or dealer status. So basically what dealer status is, is if you sell too many properties a year. Now, I've heard differing opinions. I've heard five is the magic number. This actually came from an IRS agent. But I've never found this anywhere, so I can't say that it's the magic number. So this is hearsay, folks. Yeah. There's some number out there. It's important, though. Well, and and I don't think there is a number because I think what can happen is is you know this gets back to the whole gray area, and and, and I'll kind of take a segue here. You know, an advantage of the tax code is is it's gray, but if your tax returns ever looked at, a disadvantage is it's gray. Yeah. Because then the IRS can just sort of wipe out whatever you're thinking was. This is part of my conspiracy theory that they do it on purpose. So if you do three flips, that doesn't necessarily protect you from being a dealer in that year. So what dealer status does, okay, say you have three, four rentals, and then you're also doing flips. If you're doing flips and you're only doing a couple a year, you can treat it as a capital gain, short-term capital gain. But if you're ever qualified as a dealer, which means you're doing under this informal rule that may or may not be true, let's say the magic number is five. If you're doing five or more, it's no longer short-term capital gain. It's you're you're basically a real estate dealer, and what that means is it's it's no different than the person selling coffee out here, or the person selling widgets, or the person selling cars. You're now operating a business. Your inventory is real estate. So you have sales. You have cost of goods sold. The downside to that is is if it's under a single-member LLC structure, that's all subject to self-employment tax. So you're not just getting taxed on it. For income tax, you also have self-employment tax. And all self-employment tax basically is is payroll taxes for self-employed people. Well, more too, right? Well, it's not more. It's There's an employee and an employer piece and you're responsible for both because you're both. Yeah, I call it bullshit. I call it stealing. And then, to make matters worse, if you're if your rentals are then mixed in, you know, say it's all single member LLC, so it's all reported on your 1040. You would and then you go to sell one of your rentals. Well, if you're a dealer, oh, I see what you're going. Your with rental this. is treated the same way as your flip your flips uh, that could be problematic right so now you're not getting long-term capital gain treatment you're getting you know income tax and self-employment tax so now you know some people are doing more than four or five flips a year so you know it's worth thinking about absolutely you know usually the solution is is putting your flips into uh, s corporation you can you can do it in, into a uh, two-member LLC or a multi-member LLC, but then that's still subject to self-employment tax. It, it'll protect your rentals, but but that'll still be subject to self-employment tax. Whereas the S-Corp, you can play the 
I call it the salary game. You pay yourself a fair salary, you pay wages on or you pay payroll taxes on that. Yeah. But then there's a portion that you don't necessarily have to pay payroll taxes on. And that's actually they call it a loophole, but it's they lie. Yeah. It's the rules. How is it a loophole if it's the fucking rules, right. you morons? Well, I've, I've, I've heard the, the mortgage interest thing be called a loophole as yeah. well. But it's, it basically, yeah. you say loophole every time you don't like a the tax rules. break. Yeah. yeah. Tax break. You know, so, we were blowing people's heads off over fucking tea. Yeah. And now, 200 years later, yeah. we're like banging the drums. Come steal more and waste more. Sorry, I'm going to get out. Sorry, I'm no. ranting. I apologize. Well, on that whole S-Corp thing, you know, that's been on the radar for a while. So there's a chance that that benefit may not be around for too much longer. Yeah. But then again, they've been talking about it for four or five years now. A long time. Well, they've been talking about getting rid of the mortgage. Um, yeah. I mean, not... I don't have a dog in this race, regardless of what we do. I figure the rules are going to change no matter what, and we just have to change with them. But they've been talking about getting rid of the mortgage deduction, too, for a long time. Well, and I remember seeing a cartoon, and it was a, it was a CPA running off a building. And, it, you know, the header was, you know, oh, we're, we just implemented the flat tax. So, yeah. <laughs> so the whole idea is, is okay, now I don't have a job, so I'm going to jump off a building. That cartoon was dated 1988. Yeah. Was, so We've been concerned about this for a long time. You know, Change I, comes slowly, yeah. folks. I mean, I remember reading books about the flat tax in 96. And, you know, here we are 20 years later. Still no flat tax. Yeah. And no closer to a flat tax, I might add. In fact, maybe further away. Well, yeah. I mean, we're definitely further away from any sort of tax reform which I thought it was funny because there was sort of a a token push made within the past 12 months for some sort of tax reform. But, you know, our Congress is so dysfunctional, we can't pass anything. How are we going to agree on massive, you know, tax legislation? So Yeah, we're not going to. So we're stuck at least for a little bit. Yeah. So, we, so you recommend, not you. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> it might be worth considering. Yeah. We don't recommend anything here, folks. You go figure out your own shit. That if you're doing flips, do that at least as of uh, October, November 2015. Mm-hmm. Put that in an S-Corp. Yeah, or, or actually maybe even a C-Corporation. Or C, some corporation. Yeah. And then keep your rentals yep. in LLCs, and that's to avoid that self-employment tax right well it's more to avoid the dealer the dealer the the uh to avoid being uh, being a dealer okay what about wholesaling you see that's kind of a different thing it's treated more like a a commission well, what do you think about wholesale where does wholesaling fit into this thing well wholesaling wise? is gonna be all, almost treated as if you're a realtor so you know you're not usually you're not taking possession of the property you're, somebody's buying your contract from you. So all you're getting is, well, I shouldn't say all you're getting, that's probably the, but, you know, you're getting a chunk of money. That chunk of money is your income. You know, that's going to be reported on Schedule C, or if you have a corporation, it's going to be set up under your corporation, and you, you pay tax on that. That, there's really going to be no way to get out of paying self-employment tax other than, you know, doing the S corp or C corp 
type of thing. The C-Corp, so there's S-Corp and a C-Corp, and S-Corp's a flow-through entity, which means any income you make is reported on your personal return. C-Corporation is sort of its own corporate tax entity. They pay, it pays, so that's, all the big companies are C-Corporations, but there's also some benefit, there could be some benefits for a smaller business as well. Isn't it more difficult to do reporting on corporations, though, than it is for uh, the legal requirements for reporting and meetings and that kind of thing? Well, actually, it's funny that you say that. that that's a good segue. Yes. Yeah. But the way around that is one nice thing about an LLC is you can have it be taxed as a corporation. I didn't know that. Yeah. So what you can do is to get around having the corporate seal and the stock certificates, which you're supposed to have if you're a corporation, you set up an LLC, you elect it to be taxed as a corporation, and you kind of get the best of both worlds. Mm, okay. So a wholesaler, you just, you just stuck, man. Well. What can a wholesaler do to reduce their tax liability, Brian? Lay, lay them on me. Lay well, on you, me. you have all your expenses. So, you know, now, I mean, what, what, what gets kind of interesting is you've got pots. So say you're doing everything. I've got some rentals. I do wholesaling. Occasionally, I do a flip. Okay, you've got a cell phone. Where where do you where do you deduct it? Well, somewhere I hope I'm deducting it where it's going to help you the most. Ah, uh, okay. So you know that that's sort that's of like a, a fifty thousand foot view looking down. Yeah, and you go, okay, I could put it anywhere, and it's the most right. benefit here. So now you know if it's ever looked at, they may disagree. So. Yeah, let's talk about the audit. Okay. What happens in an audit? What triggers an audit? You know, it's funny. The The days of the random audit, I, I, I can't say they're gone, but what the IRS now is looking for, from what I've seen, is the low-hanging fruit. So basically, the returns that I've seen that have been audited kind of deserve to be audited. They did something. Yeah, but what does that mean? Because that, that makes sense to you. Right. But if you're listening to this right now, you go, well, I'll give you, you a specific answer? example. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So you, we talked about the rich dad classes. Yeah. Uh, I had a client who spent $25,000 on rich dad classes, took the deduction, and had no income. And That's- they had a full-time job. It seems maybe challenging to prove that you were doing it, right? So the the approach we took, and this is the only return. I should say, this is one of one of the three or four returns that I've prepared that's been audited. Uh, our response: we wrote a narrative. He actually was in the middle. He had bought a property, so he has a real estate business. You know. He took these classes, and this was just how we wrote the letter. It was a story. So we were telling the IRS our story. And this was what's called a correspondence audit. Basically, they just mailed us, said, provide this information, and then we'll get back to you. There was no IRS agent that they came knocking on the door or anything. So we just spun the narrative. We said, look, this guy took these classes. He got into – he had been interested in real estate for a while – because you don't want to classify it as startup expenses because those get limited in a certain capacity. 
And he bought a property, tried to flip it, couldn't, started running it, but he didn't start running it until the next year. So that's why there's no income. Ah. In his next year, he'll you'll see rental income. And we got it. So so we got that one. You know, another example is just, you know, people So no income is suspicious. If you're writing something off and you don't have income, that's gonna raise a red flag. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Especially if you have W two income as well. Because ah. there there was a big I mean, it's probably still going on, but in the nineties there were basically tax preparers that were setting up for clients fake businesses. And you'd have a token amount of income, three, four thousand dollars worth of expenses. You got a nice yeah, maybe an extra grand. So it paid for this for the tax prep fees and you probably got a few hundred bucks along the way. Well the IRS started recognizing if you do a Schedule C, your likelihood of being audited is higher. Schedule C is self-employment income. Okay. So self-employed, you better be, yeah. get a W-2. You're probably not. If you're self-employed, Yeah, that you raises know. your risk. So, you know, another example was it, it was sort of the same thing. Now, this was a return I didn't prepare. They just did it wrong. They put stuff on the wrong spot. They ended up having 15,000 miles they deducted with no income or no other expenses. It was just kind of hanging out there. And it was just in the wrong spot. And that got audited. So so they're looking for things. You know, the 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 easiest thing they do now is with 1099s is, you know, they're trying to get as many 1099s out to people as possible. So if you don't report it on your taxes, they come knocking on your door. Yeah, that's something that happened in the last Four or five years? Okay. It's been a bigger push. Five? Yeah, where all of a sudden you have to do, as a business, you have to do the IRS's job. It used to be you could have an invoice, but now... You've actually always had to do the 1099s. It's just been more of an issue recently. Oh. So We didn't do it until four or five years ago. Right. Yeah. Well, they actually now make you, at the top of your Schedule E, which is your rental activity... And on your Schedule C, they ask you the question, did you need to send 1099s out? Yes or no. Did you send 1099s out? Yes or no. And essentially all all they're doing there is, you know, I haven't seen much activity from that. But say you have a rental property and you check the no box, I didn't do 1099s. But you take $5,000 in repairs. Well, who'd you pay for the repairs? And they're, they're, what I don't understand is they go, they look at that and they go, you know, I should charge you twice for this. Who is this? That's the government. Oh, like, yeah. I, I should charge. What, what kind of motherfucker looks at that and goes, that's mine. I should charge you twice for it. You didn't have the piece of paper. Well, what, what, what they're more worried about is it's not so much what you're deducting. It's they want to make sure that whoever. So say you paid me $5,000 to yeah, do no, repairs. I understand. It's just not my job to make sure yes. Brian's paying his taxes. Right. It's Brian's job to make sure Brian's but paying his But it's not taxes. anymore. Yeah, fucking government. So, you know, so, you know, that that's the whole idea behind the 1099 and 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 that's that's their easy, you know, and I see that every once in a while, you know, somebody will come to me and they'll say, "I got this notice from the IRS because I didn't report a 1099." So then you just have to fix it and you usually have to pay something. And then you're done. Yeah. 
So. Basically, everybody trying to get out of pay, paying taxes, and they made it. They're trying to make it harder. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, your neighbor's problem is your problem now, or whoever yeah. you hired is your problem now. Well, and they'll, they'll even take it a step further. Say you 1099 somebody, and then that person doesn't pay their taxes. Eventually, the IRS will come to you and say, you can't pay this person anymore. You have to pay us. Almost a form of garnishment. In informal garnishment, I guess. I would make somebody take me to court for that. So You're going to have to do more than request it. Well, I mean, but usually what ends up happening is they're not doing business with that person anymore. Yeah. So it's never really an issue. Yeah, so it's a cold shoulder. It puts a chilling effect on the market, yeah. right? Comply or uh, yeah, we'll put so, pressure on everybody. You know, or, or, you know, or if you do pay them, or if they don't give you, so a W-9 is what? the equivalent of the withholding form for wages, you know, so the W nine basically gives you all the information to do the 1099 except for the, the dollar amount. And if you don't get a W nine and you've asked for one, which you're supposed to do, yeah, you're supposed to basically withhold. That's a good point. So I'm going to go on the record now. Don't give somebody a check until you get the yes. W nine. I know it's, it's just easier obvious, yeah. But it's not your fault. The government made this difficult. Make your life easier. If it what, what is it three hundred or six hundred six hundred dollars. If it's for services, services, and that's not necessarily in one check. It's total, right? Total for the year. So even if you think you're going to go over six hundred dollars. Before you pay them at all, get a W-9. That way you can 1099 at the end of the year. Just do it. You don't want to be a part of it. You don't want them coming back and trying to charge you the taxes or anything else. So, Well, and it may be, and it may be hard to believe, but you know, if you were to call somebody in January of 2016 and said, hey, I need to send you a 1099 for the work you did in February, and you really don't plan on doing business with them again and they know it, it's going to be hard to get their tax information. Yeah. <laughs> They may decide, or they might try and sell you a story about why it's not important so you pay taxes on it and they don't, right? Well, and usually the IRS doesn't disallow it. They're just going to be looking for who you paid. So, you know, my suggestion with 1099s and my approach is just you do you do the best you can. Yeah, comply. You know, and, be careful. and if you're doing one you're probably still in the top 20% because there's still a lot of people that don't do them. Really? Yeah. So just by trying, you're probably going to avoid scrutiny. You would think that the threat of charging more in tax would be enough to... That's what got me to do it. Yeah. Are you going to take more of my hard-earned money? All of a sudden, I'm very interested in W-9s. Right. right? I didn't know what they were before, and now they're at the top of my list. And they're a hassle. Are. You know they're they're just not you know I I I do them and they're not fun, but it's like a lot of things are necessary or they're not necessary. They've been made necessary. Yeah, they're, yeah, not by they're not important, but they're incredibly necessary. Yeah, so it's those type of things that'll trigger an audit. Just something that you know looks weird for a lot. You know, and I know that's a general statement, but. You know, okay, I'd make a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm taking thirty thousand dollars in charitable deductions. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it's unlikely. 
Better have some proof, right? And yeah. Receipts. And that person very well may have gave that amount. That's fine. You just need to make sure you, you know, the other big thing, and this was a CPA who I think has been recently investigated. Actually, she wasn't even a CPA. She was a, a tax preparer of some sort, you know, they make you put your job description at the bottom of the form where you sign. And it seems innocent enough, but, you know, the perfect example is I had, and essentially what this tax preparer was doing was just fabricating expenses so the people would get a bigger refund. That seems like a dumb way to make and save money. Yeah. I don't know why I'm surprised. And she actually got away with it for a while, but re, but it's caught up with her. So what she was doing, one, she was pumping up charitables, you know, but not too much. But where she, where she got a little greedy was uh, the one client in particular was a teacher. Well, if you do a lot of driving for your job, sales is probably the perfect example. You're a sales guy, so you're driving all drive over the all place. all the time, yeah. And your company doesn't reimburse you for your mileage. Not usually, no. You can deduct it. A percentage of it, anyway, right? It's 56, it was 56 cents a mile. I forget what it is for 2015. Yeah. So you can deduct this. We, she was a teacher and she was taking 12,000 business miles. Where, where does a teacher, and you can't deduct commuting expenses. That's not one thing you can deduct. So your trip to and from field trips, yeah. So, you know. So Where were you it, driving for the field trips? So it says you're a teacher and you're taking all this mileage. That you know. So it's just things like that. Plus, it probably didn't help. And eventually, what what can happen is is if they catch on to a bad tax preparer, we all have numbers. So I have a P number. It's called because it starts with a P. Do they tattoo this on the back of your neck? They don't. Like a barcode. Okay. But what ends up happening is is if you <laughs> it, if it looks like you're doing stupid stuff while all your clients are going to get audited. Oh, boy. Because we have to put that down at the bottom of the return and sign it. So, And that's how I ended up meeting these people was they got audited. Lovely. And they're like, well, this other lady's not helping us. And it's like, well, she hasn't been helping you at all. So, did, did they Were they aware that she was doing this? Yes, I think so. Okay, that was going to be my next. Because some people are actually so naive, they don't they don't notice you these know, things. But it seems like you would think I don't know. Maybe I'm just think differently. Don't fuck with the government when it comes to money. It seems to be the thing they get really upset about. You can do all sorts of things and get a second chance at life. Yeah. You fuck with their money, they get really upset about it. Like, don't do that. And that's going to be lead my next question is. What are the gray areas to absolutely avoid? I know there's gray is a spectrum, right? A large spectrum, right? Some stuff's in the middle, some stuff that's stop top, some stuff's a lot closer to black than to white. What should people absolutely avoid that is maybe barely in the gray area? Or, and this is an opinion too. I understand it's an opinion. And by the way, folks, this is not legal advice. Again, well, in just sort of lead to lead into this my approach to doing taxes is to be aggressive but not stupid so you know you don't always keep all your receipts you don't always 
have your cell phone in your business name and you don't have a chain going back and forth with reimbursements. I still think they're valid tax deductions, though, so we're going to take them. But I always warn, if it's ever looked at, you may have to cut a check. Legitimate expense, but you didn't keep a receipt. You're going to take it anyway. Right. And if you get audited, you may eat it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, just to sort of use that as a lead-in, there's no, there's nothing I, that I can think of that you should totally avoid. You know, home office is one of the things that a lot of people get skittish about, but even that's, if you have a home office, you can deduct it. If you're self-employed, you just have to make sure you follow all the rules. But just make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. And I know that's what really is general. Stupid, though? I'm trying to nail well, down what's stupid, Brian. Remember, we're not all CPAs, you know? Yeah, I know. You're, and you're I, neck deep in this stuff, and the rest of us are just swinging tree to tree trying to do deals, you know? You know, so let's just use an example. I like examples. Okay. Shoot. You're going to a baseball game. Can you deduct it? Maybe. That's right. Okay. So say you're going with your wife. Can you deduct it? Maybe. Probably not. Yeah, I was going to say my wife, yeah, but not Maybe, most people. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, but even even if you're both in the business, it, it gets a little bit tougher to defend because what's the business purpose of going to the baseball game? With my wife, yeah, I guess it'd be a little tough. But yeah. if I went with you, if, I could say. Now say you go with me. Now can you deduct it? Yes. Can you deduct all of it? Probably not, no. Yeah, yeah, because meals and entertainment subject to a 50% exclusion. Now, say I'm running my baseball business and I go to a baseball game. Can I deduct it? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, and all I should be able to deduct all of it. Ah, okay. I see what you're saying. So, you know, it, 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 it's a good very, example. Thank you. That's it's, a great example. And it's very situational. And a lot of times it just comes down to, and I, and I don't like using this word, but I think it kind of applies, is common sense. So if my wife and I go out to eat, don't write off every time we go out to eat because they probably won't believe we're talking about business every time. Every we go night. Out to eat. Well, and the whole logic is is why why do you ha- why do you have to talk about business every night? Well, or why can't you just talk about it when you're not at your restaurant? Because I get fifty percent off, Feds. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> so you know it. Fifty percent off my pizza. And I've heard some, you know, so. Probably the most extreme example I've ever heard, and it was out of a real estate training. Why am I not surprised? It was... Uh, Do you remember which one? Yeah, but I'd rather not say. That's fine. Don't say. You know I'm an ass, though, so you it's know, all right. So their whole idea was, okay, there's a rule that if you rent your personal residence out for less than 14 days a year, there's no reporting. You don't have to report the income. You don't have to report the expenses. And and where that gets really interesting is when like the one of the big golf events is in town, and you'll have people rent their house out for exorbitant sums of money, and they'll actually go live in a hotel. And as long as they stay under this fourteen day window, they don't have to report any of this on their taxes. Interesting. So, what their idea was was you set up, you have your corporation. They need to have monthly meetings. Or they, or they have monthly meetings. 
So what you do is you do your research, you find out how much, you know, facilities for a meeting cost. So say it's $1,000 for a weekend meeting. Well, you're not going to rent it there. You're going to have your corporation rent your house. Yeah, that does seem like a really bad idea. For $1,000 a day, once a month for 12 months. I think I would audit that. So, but, you know, now, 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 and I'll have, I don't want to call them arguments, I guess, discussions. Debates. Because every once in a while, a client will say, well, I want to take what I'm legally obligated to. Well, are you legally obligated to take that deduction? Maybe, but that doesn't mean the IRS isn't going to knock you down if they ever take a look at it. So, Absolutely. So. Yeah, that's a good reason, I would say. You're definitely going to get audited. Also, again, I like that noise you hear in the background. We are at Always Brewing Detroit. Go to alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. Our good friend, Amanda Brewington, been here over two years. She kindly allows us to use her space to do this podcast. Is that her real name? It is. Isn't that nice? Amanda <laughs> Brewington at alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. A great little coffee shop in northwest Detroit. Conveniently located on Grand River between Southfield and Evergreen on the north side. Excellent coffee served from Hazano. And Hazano is a local roaster in Ferndale. Amazing coffee. So that noise you hear in the background, the people laughing, talking. An enormous pe- uh, commercial refrigerator she has, too, where when the pr- compressor goes, it makes a shit ton of noise. You may occasionally hear that. I try and edit all that stuff out. But if you do hear it, that is what you're hearing. That is why you're hearing it. And uh, consider it part of the ambiance of the of the podcast, at least in, if you can hear it. So anyway, moving Moving right along, what are some of the worst transgressions? Oh, that's pretty bad. Renting out your house for $1,000 a year back to yourself does seem like a pretty bad transgression. I mean, I'm not sure who would say that was a good idea. That's obviously not a good idea. But what's some of the other worst or best practices? Don't do it, basically. Well, just just to kind of get back to the common sense thing, you know, it's – I had one client who, and maybe it was legit, I don't know, but he claimed that he drove 70,000 miles for business. So, you know, if you do the math. I don't know how that would be. Po- Hold on. I don't know either. Wait, I'm, I'm going to do this right now. 70,000 miles? Now, also keep in mind, I don't know if he works on weekends. So let's assume he works Saturdays and not I'm gonna Sundays. I'm going to assume he works all days because okay. I don't think his math is going to work. All right. So he said 70,000. I'm going to assume 365. This guy worked on Christmas because he's a stud. I don't know. I guess 190, 192 miles a day. So... Uh, Andy worked, Dan ran his business, and um, had staff that reported to him. So That seems like a stretch. And that's what I ask. I mean, as a CPA, we, we can't put our head in the sand. So if something seems suspicious, we have to ask questions. Well, your license is on the line, potentially, right? You know, and, that's, and that's what, you know, I was like, that sounds high. What are the average number? If you work five days a week, what is that per year? 
Uh, I used to know this. I I know I'm putting you on the spot. I know okay. it's 2,080 hours. 2,080 hours. But I don't, which is an eight-hour day, which is funny because nobody seems to work an eight-hour day anymore. 260. Okay, yeah, 260, that sounds right. That's it, 260. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll say, God, we're not, no wonder we're not so productive. So we'll do 70,000 divided by 260. Yeah, 269 miles a day. So I get, I guess, is it possible? Yeah. Not likely. I mean, you also hear about people commuting from Kentucky every day, six, you know, they get up at three in the morning, they drive for five hours, they work for eight hours and they drive home. It makes sense. Some people do. I've heard the stories. Really? It doesn't happen too often, but I knew Mexicans who lived in, well, this is back in my Navy days, um, when I lived in Southern California and San Diego, they spent six hours commuting a day, three hours from Mexico okay. or 12 hours and then drove three hours back and did that five days a week. But I, I've never heard, I don't know. Maybe I only thought it was a Mexican immigrant thing. <laughs> I guess if you live in Kentucky and you want a job, where do they drive to here? Yeah. I mean, it's usually auto related. Oh man. You know, so, you know, and again, it, it all comes down to, okay, I'm going to be putting this down on your form and, and, and your auto expenses stick out cause it's a separate line. So that's a huge number. 70,000 so, miles. You know, it's that's a hard number to ignore, isn't it? Are, are you going to be able to back this up? And if you can, that's fine. If you can't, then we might want to talk about it. Yeah. Or you might want to change your mind. <laughs> well, one of the things the gurus like to talk about is writing off your training. Okay. okay. Well, we kind of touched on that with that a little bit. example. Yeah. How do you write off your training? Cause I'm sure I should have touched on, I was thinking about other things when we're, sometimes I get distracted and I go certain directions. How do you write off your training? What percentage you can write off? Well, if you're already in real estate, you can write it all off. 100%. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So that's the easy answer. If you're just getting started, it's a little more tricky because there's also what are called startup costs. So if you're just starting a business and that they classify that as a startup cost, then you have to amortize it. And I think you get to take five or $10,000 of it up front and then you take the rest over 15 years. Why do they do that? That's just the mathematical formula that they came up with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now there there are also times where people want to amortize it just so it doesn't stick out. So, you know, in the case of the person that got audited, you know, he, you know, some people would rather just take two, three thousand dollars every year for a while than take it all up front and run the risk of having to explain it. What a strange situation to be in where you're worried about taking legitimate tax deductions Kind of, although, you know, it, it also... I'm assuming they're not criminals. I mean, maybe that's No, they're not. But, you know, also keep in mind, well, let's talk about mine. I took 10000 I spent $10,000 and I never did a deal. So... Yeah. What is is it a, Is it a valid deduction? I don't know. Is it? Maybe not. Why do you have to succeed for it to be a deduction? I mean, the government doesn't succeed at anything, right? So... Interesting. So, yeah, did you take that as a write-off? Yeah. Okay. But 
it was buried yeah. in with my tax business stuff. Did you did you ever end up doing any deal, any rental deal, any? No, I didn't. Okay, you plan on getting back into it at some point in time, or? You know, I I don't know. And essentially, what ended up happening was, you know, I had that going on, or I was looking into it, and at the same time, I was doing the tax business, and and I hate using the I don't have enough time excuse, but there is only so much time in the day, so this is where I'm making my money. So this, the tax practice is what I'm focusing on. Yeah. But what about the future, man? What about your future? You got a boy, 11 year old. Yeah. You want some rentals, build up some equity. And I'm not saying I'm never going to do it. Yeah. It's just not a focus at the moment. Okay. All right. Any plans though? Nothing. Gotta have a plan, man. You don't have any plan? Not for that. Okay. What plans do you have? Uh, just for my business and for like with my son and personal stuff. What plans do you have for your business? What does the future of BrianCPA.com, BrianCPA.com. Also, you can go to Facebook.com forward slash BrianCPA. Hit them up on Twitter at BrianCPAMichigan, M-I, BrianCPAMI. Or hit them at 248-346-4732. We are in Michigan, United States. So if you're, I don't know, overseas, Skype him, yeah. send him an email, go to his website. That's a Michigan number, by the way. So what are the plans for the future of BrianCPA.com? Well, I'm getting to the point where I'm probably going to need help because capacity is becoming a problem. That's a good problem. It is. You know, and it's it's a weird industry because you have these seasons and these filing deadlines. So like right now, I mean, there's work I can do and there's work that I have to do, but it's not that it has to be done tomorrow. In April, it's a different story. This happens know. a couple times a year, right? It, it does. You know, there there are a series of deadlines that actually start in January with with the 1099s. I mean, January 15th is estimated tax payments for the fourth quarter. 1099s and W-2s is the 31st. Uh, I do some payroll work for some of my clients, so that's the end of that month as well. March 15th is the corporate deadline. April 15th is the personal deadline. And then it kind of falls off a cliff and nobody really cares <laughs> for a couple of months. And then things pick up again in August for the, for, the, for the extensions. Now, there's stuff that gets done during – well, there's stuff that I got done today. But it's – you know, there's when you really got to get stuff done and then there's when you just – should get stuff done so you don't have to do it in March or April. So, you know, you use the example of just being able to do one tax return. Yeah, that obviously a day. Is not how it works, right? You know, that would that would be great, but what you have is these periods of time that are just crazy. And it's during those periods of time where I could probably use some help. I haven't decided which route I'm going to take there. I also wouldn't mind having an office cuz my ex-wife lives in Troy. And that's also where my son goes to school. So I wouldn't mind having something out there to where I can just drop him off, go to the office, office. and then come get him. Or when he gets older, come back to the office. You know, plus I I also would like, and we talked about the whole Waterford CPA Google. It would be nice to replicate that as well in a different city. Yeah, get Detroit. Can you do that? So I'm showing, well, I'd need a presence in Detroit in some way. So, 
No, you don't. You just need freaking. You need Detroit to show up on the search engine. Why do you have to visit? Well, there's that. Well, but but you know the listings that I was explaining was sort of an address specific business. That's true. You know, so you can't you do anybody's taxes in the country or the world if they yeah. have a business here in America, right? Yes. Do you have any international clients? Yes, I do. Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So that I'm asking because I'm sure I know there are people listening right now in different countries yeah. who either invest in America or want to invest in America. Yeah. Most of them are European, but there's some mm-hmm. Australians, there's also some Chinese. Hey, it's a global economy. Yeah. Everybody wants a piece of America. <laughs> they want to invest in America. Um what challenges uh, do you have with them? How do you, you know, what challenges? It's not scary, folks. What's no. it look like for them? Well, it's usually not, I shouldn't say it this way, but it's usually not that big of a deal. I mean, usually they have a couple rentals. I mean, we're not talking about people with a dozen or so, but some do. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of the same, the same rules apply to everybody. You just need to report them and... Now the the one bad thing is is you know so we file a form 1040, they file what's called a 1040 NR, which is for non-resident because they don't live there live here. They don't get a standard deduction, uh, and their tax brackets are pretty extreme. Yeah. So it doesn't take them, you know, for us to get into the 28 percent tax bracket. You know, especially for a married couple, we're talking about well over six figures. But for somebody overseas, one, they don't let you file joint, so you got to file separate, so you don't get to sort of capitalize on the tax breaks. And two, you know, you could end up in that twenty-eight percent of the higher tax brackets a lot quicker. I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, you you get taxed more quicker. Aren't there trade agreements, though? So even though they're going to be taxed more here, they're not necessarily going to be taxed more overall? Uh, yes, and it kind of depends. Now, now, usually what ends up happening is, you know, one of the nice things about – it's almost always rentals. I've only run across one or two returns where they're doing some sort of flip transaction. Yeah, most are doing rentals. It's almost all rentals. Well, by the time you get your deductions – and then get your depreciation. Nine times out, probably out of my dozen clients that I do that are overseas, I don't, I can't think of one that actually pays taxes. Just the way rentals work in general. Yeah. So you know, they're not on the hook for anything. At least not till they sell. That's true. Yeah. Now you know, if you have multiple ones and you're not leveraging them and you don't have that interest deduction. Then, then they might end up paying something, but the vast majority of them hold like one to three, and usually what ends up happening is one they have a hard time with, so they, I mean, the bad thing is is they didn't make that much money, but the good thing is is there's a loss there that they can use to offset their other properties, so they don't end up usually paying. And then they do get a small exemption, so it's like your first 4000 which doesn't sound like a lot, but when... You know, that could be an entire net rent for a year, right there, depending on where the property. A lot of times at. it is. Yeah, you know, and some of the clients they just have one. You know, they 
it's hard to make four thousand dollars after depreciation yeah michigan's an affordable state so for those listening i'm not just saying that you might be in california or london or hong kong in michigan you can have houses rent for as little as 450 bucks a month and kind of middle of the road is somewhere between 800 to a thousand bucks a month so after expenses property management insurance property tax very likely your net is probably below four thousand, unless you have a rental empire, right. or you're like in Birmingham, which yeah. is a higher end market where it's two or three, four thousand dollars to rent. So I'm just trying. To, we have a global audience, yeah. right? Is that something you considered? Is focusing on foreign clients? Uh, not not necessarily focusing because I don't really. I guess I don't have a marketing strategy for that yet. Dude, you're online. That's all you need. No, I know. So you know, and then. It's a little more work. Not that that's a deterrent. They pay more money, right? Usually. Yeah. So the big thing usually is is their first return. They have to apply for a tax ID number, and that's a pain. It is a pain. So Is that something you can do for them and charge them a fee? Well, I, I help them with it. That's part of the first yeah. return. Yeah. So, But, you know, uh, the whole language barrier can be a problem. You know, I've had some clients where they send me an email and I really have no idea what they're talking about. You know, and and it's not that they don't know what they're talking about. It's just I don't understand it the way they presented it. So, Dude, you should think about that. I made, you know, back with Urban Detroit Wholesalers, all that stuff, before Mm -hmm. I got sued and got my ass kicked and all that stuff, like 80% of my business was out-of-country business because nobody else would cater to them. Yeah. You know, know, plus it's it's a challenge just marketing. I mean, how I've gotten all those clients is usually property managers that have referred me. Well, that's a good point. Lots of business referrals. So, you know, they have an international client that needs their taxes done. They send them to me. Okay. You know what we haven't talked about somehow? Okay. Rental depreciation. Okay. We have to talk about it for two minutes. Okay. All right. Because people are like, what about rental? I'll get a thousand comments. Rightfully so, because we didn't cover it, right? Give me the basics of rental depreciation and then how that, if at all, with asset protection and management and all that and how that works. Well, the depreciation is just more of a tax thing. In fact, it, it it's all taxes and it's a deduction. And basically how you come up with your depreciation is the IRS has determined what various assets, what their useful life has been. I don't necessarily agree with them, but they are what they are. The rules are what they are. You know, and uh, and they change once in a while. But for residential property, you can depreciate it over 27 and a half years. So if you buy a property, let me see if I do my math, 55,000. 55, Bust out my calculator again. You, you can take about 2,000 a year. What's okay. 27? 27.5 times 2. I'm going to figure out. It's 55. Times 2. 55,000. Yeah. Yep. So if you buy a property for 55,000, you get $2,000 a year. Okay. Now, the year you buy it, you get a little less based on the number of months. Don't you have to recapture that, though, at some point in time? You do. If you sell it, then you have to pay a higher tax rate on that amount because you're getting a tax benefit from it there. But But it's also not optional. So you have to. Well, if you don't, 
your recapture is based on the amount that you were allowed, not necessarily what you took. So That's having it both ways. So you better you better take it. So you might as well take it. Yeah, yeah there's no reason to not it. to take it. They're going to charge you for it whether you take it or not. You know? And then there's other ways to accelerate your depreciation. So, you know, probably the easiest way, although it's usually not done on a residential house, it's usually more of a bigger, maybe an apartment complex or, or like a commercial building. There's, a, there's what's called a cost segregation study. So anytime you buy a building, you have the building, but you also got a bunch of stuff. You got wiring, you've got lighting fixtures, you've got everything else. Furnaces, hot water tanks. Well, all. those you can depreciate quicker. So the whole idea is to segregate your costs, hence the name, into buckets and then depreciate them quicker. And, you know, sometimes it can give you a nice pop. The downside is, is, you know, if you plan on selling it in one or two years, then there's not a whole lot of sense doing it because then you just have to make it up yeah. on the other side. So that's more of a long-term strategy. Yes. Okay. You know, the the, the whole idea is, is, you know, I mean, under that example where we use the $2,000 a year, say you can get $5,000 in years one through five and then less than $2,000 for the next years. Well, you'd rather have it in year one than year 28 and the whole time value of money thing. Well, yeah, you might not be alive in year 28. Right, right? yeah. Who, so I could be knows? dead. I could wake up dead. You know. So, I mean, it's... But then... And it's funny that you bring up depreciation because it also leads into a lot of other issues because, you know, if you have too much depreciation and it's creating a loss, you may not be able to take those losses either depending on your income from other sources. Good grief. So, yeah, you know, so it's like, yeah, you can take the deduction, but you don't get it until some <laughs> some sometime in the near future. Dystopian future where you can actually carry forward a loss. How long can you carry forward losses? Uh, it, it depends on what kind they are. These kind of losses you can carry forward indefinitely. Okay. If it's like a net operating loss where your like overall income is negative, then it's 20 years. Then you can actually carry it back. So say you paid tax two years ago and you have a loss this year, you can carry it back and get the money that you paid. There you go, folks. So That tip's not worth listening. I don't know what is. But... Uh, Yeah, that's fun stuff. A lot of times it doesn't apply to somebody who's working. So, and that's another thing too, just on general tax strategy, you know, there's no one size fits all. So, you know, if a person is married, they're both working and they're doing real estate investing, that's a whole different ballgame than somebody who is 19, single, and is just doing real estate investing. Yeah, it's very different too because you get to write off kids, you get to write off for being married. You get there's all sorts of well, and there's also phase out. So you know, it's like sometimes you might want to set up the C corp because it's taxed separately, because there's things like your child tax credit starts getting phased out after a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred ten thousand dollars. So if you're in that range, you don't want that income there. You might want it over here. So. There's just a lot of dynamics that you have to kind of keep an eye on. Do you know how many IRS employees there are? No, I don't. I'm just curious. I thought maybe you'd know. I should Google that. How many you know, IRS? and they've been under fire recently. You know, the, their, their, their budget. I don't know what happened this year, but I know their budget's been cut recently. 
Good. So things have suffered for them. You know, their help desk is one of the things that they that they've cut. Of course, on. that's so, where the government would cut, right? So it's hard to get them on the phone. So, although I've actually had, you know, a lot of people worry about the IRS, but they're usually pretty reasonable, and they really just want their money. Eighty-two thousand two hundred and three. Okay. Alexander the Great conquered the world, the known world, with less people. That should make you feel really good about what you accomplish productivity-wise every day, IRS employee. People who couldn't read or do math or even knew what uh, basic chemistry was or anything like that conquered an entire world while you're sitting at your desk ruining people's lives. That has nothing to do with Brian, by the way. Follow the rules. I'm just uh, That's an amazing number. Well, and there's different that's down from 84,761 they fired everybody at the help desk that's what i said yeah <laughs> well and, and and also keep in mind you know they're going after not just the low-hanging fruit but they're also going after the biggest target so you know if you go to gm they're under what's called continuous audit so they're always being audited in fact really in fact the IRS has an office in their building. Oh my God. And they have upwards of, depending on when the audit cycle is going, they usually audit like two, three years at a time. And uh, what a nightmare. That's somebody's job is to babysit these people while they audit. I mean, and sometimes they, yeah, well, no, there's actually, you know, there, there are designations, manager of tax audit. So their job my God, is to be the liaison with with the IRS, and sometimes there's upwards of ten people. You know, if things are near the end, there's a lot of a lot of auditors out there. So I have no idea. See, I didn't know that. So there's some companies that are just constantly being audited twenty four hour seven, yeah, right? And it's a lot of them. It's not, you know. So that's just an operating cost. That's literally how some of these big businesses look at it. It's just an operating cost. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and. And conversely, they're they're also not – well, then they also have a relationship with the IRS to a certain extent. So, so while they want to get their tax return done correctly, they also don't care too much if they make a small mistake because their attitude is, well, the auditors will just pick it up and we'll just pay them that. Interesting. You know. Is there any teeth? These guys, they're digging through. Are there any teeth? Like, or is it just you'll pay it when we catch you so there's no harm, no foul kind of thing? Usually. I mean, it, it – it's just anytime you're that big, mistakes are going to be made and things are going to get missed, you know. So it, it, it's just sort of the nature of the beast mm. to a certain extent. It is a beast. I'll, yeah. I will grant you that. An 82,000 army beast. Interesting. So and that's just the federal government. And yeah, it doesn't even count states. So I actually think the IRS is easier to deal with than the states. Interesting. Just, you know, and I don't want to get too negative, but it seems like... <laughs> it's not negative if it's true. Well, it's more apathy. There you go. You know, the, they just don't seem to... You know, they'll send you a letter, say you owe money. You send them a letter back saying, I don't. No, I don't. And then you send... And then they'll just send you a letter saying, "Yes, you do." Yes, you do. And then they'll tax them with more interest on. And then, no, I don't. And this is going to take like three years. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't take that long. Although 
way back uh, when would have this been 2002 I'll pick on the state of California that's a good state to pick on you know they they, the state that managed to run out of water years even though they knew they were going to run out of water they sent the company I was working for a notice and they assessed some tax so we did it it was a return that was never filed back before I even started working there and we owed some money, so we sent them the money. We sent them the return. Well, about 30 days later, we we get another letter saying we owe this much. So I call them up, and I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on here? And I, surprisingly, I actually got somebody on the phone. Holy cow. The state of Michigan, it's a little bit tougher than that. Usually you don't, can't physically talk to anybody. And what email is thing. challenging as well. So... You know, so I'm talking to this lady. So this was, I don't remember the exact months, but I think I mailed it in March and now it's April. And, you know, I was asking her, I was like, you know, we sent this in. And she's like, well, when did you send it in? And I said, well, March, whatever. And she's like, oh, okay. We haven't gotten a March mail yet. What? And she explained it to me. Basically what they do is they take all their mail and they have the those big, I don't know if you've oh. ever seen those big, Oh, it hurts. bins it hurts so bad Brian anytime they get mail there's a big there's a month that's what they do all the mail gets dumped in the bin fuck why am I not surprised and she's like well we're still on February mail oh my god they're still <laughs> I would like somebody to try this at a corporation I'm still on February's mail no you're fired <laughs> you're fired so and it, and that's you know oh are you done all right, my anti-government rants aside, we're going to close up now. I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you coming out and spending time with me today down here at alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. Go to bryancpa.com, bryancpa.com. Go to facebook.com forward slash bryancpa. Hit him up on Twitter at bryancpami for Michigan or 248-346-4732. This section I like to call like success habits, that kind of thing. Success doesn't happen by itself. Inspiration, motivation, habits. What are the books you've read, the blogs you go to, the podcasts you listen to, the movies, the training, all that. I don't know if you wake up the same time every morning, a workout regime, what. It doesn't, building a business doesn't happen. It's something you do. It's intentional and you have to keep it going. It's like a living, breathing thing. You know what? What are some of, what are some of the things you do on a regular basis, or the books you read, or anything like that that you would recommend? Well, like as far as challenges, probably the biggest one is deal. You know, I have my son half the time, so I really have to like plan because some days I have them and I can't go to the grocery store. No, so you know they're. It's just getting my schedule in line that lets me get all my work done and then lets me spend the time that I need with my son so he's getting what he needs as well. You know, as far as podcasts, there's a few, you know, so I listen to this one, some of the local uh, ones as well, like Mike Simmons. Mm -hmm. I think that's just... Just start real estate. Just start real estate. That's right. I'll put this in the show notes, folks. Too. I've, I've. Um, that's a good podcast. I like that one. 
I also like the Unmarketing podcast. I don't know if it's uh, oh. Scott Stratton and okay, I'll look that one it, up. It, it's not real estate related, but it, but it's a it's a good one because it combines. He's sort of the anti-marketing, like anti-traditional marketing guy. So it's it's a combination of him just making fun of stupid stuff that people do. I'm a fan of that. <laughs> and the the banner between the two, because he's sort of like the wild and crazy guy, and she's more of the straight and narrow. So just you know that they just kind of click, and it's it's a good listen, and and there's stuff that you learn. And it's more just stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And he has some books, too, that are actually really good. If we want to segue into the books, which is also called Unmarketing. Okay. And that, you know, and that, so they wrote a book. They have a podcast called Unmarketing, and he wrote a book. Or yes. He and she wrote I think book. the book came first. Okay. That would make sense. And then now they have other. So the whole Un thing is now their, their, uh, their thing. Uh, so I think their last book was called Unselling. Unselling? Yeah. Interesting. Uh and then they also have another book that you'll probably appreciate the title. It's uh, QR Codes Kill Kittens. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wondering about the QR codes because that seems like the, the the missed marketing piece, right? Like, How often? I don't know. I don't want to get into it. But I could see why they would come up with that. You know. Yeah. So, you know, that's good. I'm trying to think of what I've read recently. Kitten Murderers. You know, some of my favorites are, you know, some of the older, you know, I like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Well, you took their training, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, the four-hour work week I thought is good. Yeah, we love you know, that one. There's some some things in there that I think are a little challenging, but there's also a lot of good stuff in that book as well. What do you think is challenging? Uh, I don't know. And maybe it's just me because just the whole outsourcing. That's talking to right now. The outsourcing, I just have, and, and it's also just me having a hard time letting go, I guess. Ah, uh, okay. So. I think that's a common challenge. I have yeah. a hard time with it. You know. If we're being honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenging thing to do to let go, especially some of these things are really important and to let them go to the wrong person could be a terrible thing, but to grow like next year. Right. You're very likely going to have to let go of some things. Yes. Right? And hire some people. So, although I also like, you know, some of the, you know, okay, somebody calls, if you don't pick up the phone right away, it's not going to be the end of the world because they're interrupting you. It's like I'm in the middle of doing something. I don't want to be picking up my phone every 20 minutes. So, you know, just some of the the time management techniques from that book are good. Uh, Guerrilla marketing used to be one of my favorites, but that's sort of more old school marketing and I don't necessarily think I mean some of that stuff might apply but not so much anymore some of it's dated got you started though right yeah yeah you know and and it's a good book to read for just ideas so there's not a lot of internet stuff in fact I think the last version of the book may have even been pre-Facebook oh wow that's a while or it was just when Facebook started ramping up uh so all of Tim Ferriss's books are good. I even like The 4-Hour Body. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, I like that. And... While you're thinking about that, um, let Go me ahead. pose a question sure. to you here because I'm interested in how you do it. Something I constantly challenge myself, right? Creating and keeping a schedule. Um, how do you do that when you have your son half the time and I got to work and I got to do this? And Do you block it down to 15 minutes? Do you have a system you follow? 
or are you just like, hey, look, it's nine. I'm doing this from nine to nine. And that's just what you do. It, it kind of depends. I'm not real good at that either. And, and that's, you know, and I go in kind of fits and spurts. So sometimes I'm do, doing a good job keeping my calendar. Sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes I rely a little bit too much on my memory. Sometimes it gets me into trouble. Absolutely. Regularly, so, it gets me in trouble. You know, I usually not big trouble, but, you know, knock on wood, not not yet. So, you know, I just use Google, Google Calendar. And, you know, I mean, some of it's more general. I mean, if I'm, if I'm really doing it well, I'm blocking out all my time, including, you know, so like I'll, I'll have a big block for Devin when he's home. So that's not work time. It's really challenging during tax season because usually I have several things going at the same time in various stages. So, you know, I may pick up a return and if it's missing five things, now I got to fire off an email. So now it gets set aside and then I pick up the next thing and I work on it. Maybe I get to finish it. Maybe I don't. If I don't, then there's another email. So basically, I have a pile system. I was going to say, how do you keep track of 300 tax returns? Do you have a CRM, a project management software? or It's a combination of, I try to do as much on email as I can. So most people, I'm going to be contacting via email. Written records, good idea. Yeah. For you and for them, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I like email because then it's also, you know, I'd be in a little bit of tr- of trouble if my Gmail account just suddenly disappeared, but I don't see that happening in the foreseeable future. But what about the apocalypse, man? Yeah. Well, then, then we got we. You're like I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, <laughs> I think taxes will be the least of our worries. Yeah. But you know, and then just I use a software program for for tax prep, so all, everybody's there. Okay. What software program do you use? I use Tax Act. Tax Act, okay. You know, is that a subscription service or? Uh, I I pay at the beginning of the year. And yeah. So there might be CPAs listening or future CPAs yeah. like you know Brian's got a good idea here. I want to go out and do this uh, CPA thing, so that's why I'm asking, right? So and the pile method that I use just stems back to you know way back when I worked in public accounting at a firm. That's how I kept track of stuff. So do you still do like all physical? You're like looking at paper or is it usually, well, and then if they send it to me in a PDF, I'll usually print it off because I just have an easier time visualizing it. And then it goes in a file and then the file, there's, you know, the hasn't been touched pile, the in process <laughs> pile and the finished pile. Okay. How does, so, but if you're starting with one and the in-process file, do you move it from the top of the in-process file to like the bottom of the in-process file? It depends. That's where it kind of falls apart a little bit, right? You know, I just, it usually goes on the top and then what I do is once or twice a day, I'll flip through it. I'll flip through the files. And then if I've gotten an email from somebody, then I finish that one up and move it on. Okay. So there's, you know, it's sort of... You know, and then there's the, although it's not a pile at this point, it's the people that still need to get me their stuff. How often is that? Do people drag their feet, I'm sure, all the time on getting you stuff, right? Some people do. You know, and it's interesting because that... It's like going to the dentist, right? Like, you know you have to do it and you drag, oh, God, tax time's coming. Well, and 
that's also one of the challenges with dealing with this many people is you're dealing with this many people and everybody's a little bit different. And I understand that because I'm, I'm a little bit different too. Join the crowd, man. So, you know, it's like some people, they want, they get it to you in January and they want it quick. And other people just don't really care, <laughs> you know? So it's just, just something I have to you do. Know, Here you go. Yeah. And they'll get to it when they get to it. Mm. So, I mean, I, I pester people. I'm like, this is coming up due, but I also treat them as adults. And if they don't get it to me, then, you know, they know. Yeah. Because I've told them several yeah. times, you know, look. Hence uh, the email, right? Yes. Yeah. You know. Or text. It's like the, the due date's coming in two weeks. Okay. Now the due date's one week. And, you know, and then there's some people that just drop off. So there were some people that I actually extended that I didn't end up doing their return. They never reached back out to me or they never responded to my queries. Mm, okay. So what about with books? What are their um, books? Any movies? I've actually been there? reading more fiction lately. What fiction are you reading? It's okay. It's a, this is a broad podcast, man. Okay. Yeah. What fiction are you reading? Yeah. So, cause I did see that you read something like 2,500 books in your life. Yeah. I, I'm always reading something and you know, one of the things I've gotten back into and my son's just like me. He's into the same stuff. So we started playing Dungeons and Dragons about a year ago. So I've been reading more fantasy genre books. So I've been getting, uh, I don't know if you know who Terry Brooks is. Oh, yeah. Gina, my wife reads okay. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Well, like way back, like I had fell behind. So I decided to just, okay, even though I've read some of these, I'm going to pick it, pick up book one and read through. And there's like 30 books now. So I'm about halfway through there. Uh, you know what my response to that is? What's that? I don't want to pee on anybody, piss on anybody's parade yeah, here, fine. right? But Ernest Hemingway yeah. can write a story in one fucking book, right? I don't know. Under, I quit reading all these fantasy and sci-fi writers because for whatever reason, there's never an end to the fucking story. It's like Dune. Well, How many Dune books do we need before? It's a story, you know? I Maybe I'm just curmudgeonly. I did say I was a curmudgeon, folks. I would have gone on the record multiple times as being curmudgeonly. Well, actually, Terry Brooks is probably a little different because what he does, you know, unlike Robert Jordan. I don't That's know. probably who I'm thinking of. Okay, so Robert Jordan writes the seven book series on. Well, something. he's got fifth, somewhere between 12 and 15, but they're like huge books. Yeah. And it was one long series. Terry Brooks is more, I'm writing a trilogy. It sort of relates to some of the stuff that I wrote before and it's in the same universe, but it's its own standalone story. It's not the same people because it usually takes place hundred to 400 years later. And then sometimes they'll do prequels and they'll go back and forth. So each sort of trilogy stands on its own, but it also advances the whole story. But yeah, some of them do, they keep going I understand that's what the appeal is, too. I'm just on the other side of that. You know? So, I mean, I also like Game of Thrones. I would love to read that, but I'm not falling for that trick again. I want all the books written before I read them because I don't want to wait 17 years while he finishes up. How many more books does he have to go? Two. Two. And the first one's supposed to be coming out. Supposed to. Maybe soon. Yeah. Like, 
I think the hope is is 2016 at some point. It's not like he's particularly healthy either. Have you seen the guy? He's like 400 pounds. Well, and unfortunately, people ask him that question, and he always gets so mad. But I, it is a valid. It's a valid question, you know. guy. Hey, it's none of my business how fat you are, how unhealthy you are. But as far as I'm concerned, when you say you have two more books coming out in this universe, you're holding us hostage and you're not getting any younger and you're not living a particularly healthy lifestyle. So it's a valid question. Well, and it's also interesting now because the TV series is going to be passing the books. Really? Yeah. So what the fuck are they using then? They're just making it up? His ideas or, you know, so they must have an inside. Well, cause he's involved with the show. Yeah. So, you know, but, but also what, you know, the, they've also started deviating more. So, you know, what happened? I haven't watched the shows. I'm just working with what I've Spoiler read. Spoiler alert, folks. Spoiler alert. Well, no, the, you know, things that happen. I'm just throwing it out there. People get upset when you ruin their story. So things that happened in the show didn't happen in the books. Things are happening differently. So what I think is going to happen is, is supposedly the TV series now is supposed to end first. And it's going to be different than what happens in the book. This makes no sense to me. I do want to read the series of books, though. I did watch... They're really good. So, what was it called? Um, it's when they murdered everybody in one room. The Red Wedding? Yes. All right. I watched that clip on YouTube, and I knew immediately that I wanted to watch the series then. But I'm not falling for it. I'm busy. I don't even have a TV. I'd have to go online somewhere and get it. I'm going to treat it like Stargate or anything else. I'll wait till it could all come out on DVD, yeah. and I could watch it all at one time if I want to. Same if I want to. I want to read the books, but I do understand that it's it's very anti-hero writing, right? Like right. anybody can die. It's more like reality, which really appeals to me. Yeah. Well, and it's it's really well written, and it's like the kind of thing where you it shouldn't be as interesting as it is. It's like European history with but dragons. It, yes. That's what it is. Yeah. But it just, you know, I don't know if it's a style. I don't know. It's just, now there are big, you know, the last two books I wasn't as crazy about. They were still good, but they weren't as good. So, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to him wrapping it up. I'll probably just read the sixth one, even though now it's been a couple years since I read the fifth one. But what will happen is when the seventh one comes out, the last one, I'll probably go back and reread all of them them and just plow through, which is kind of what I'm doing with this Terry Brooks series. And I'm trying to think of what else. That's okay. There might not be anything else. Star Wars. So I'm a big Star Wars fan. Although Star Wars has its own controversy because, you know, prior to the last few books, they had, it was called the Expanded Universe. 100, 100 plus books. Well, when they announced the new movie, they basically said, we're calling, it's called Legends. This stuff never really happened. It may have happened, but it probably didn't happen. What? So all the all the books that took place where Han and Leia get married. They're just saying they that have kids. Happen. They're saying that that may not necessarily be the story, and it's probably not. And then now they've started a new it's called canon what's canon and what's not canon they've started a new series of books that now are official well you know what that means right everybody's got to buy more books yeah (laughs) although with that i think it was starting to get overdone 
you know, they'd have a nine-book story arc that probably could have got done in three. So, you know, it's probably not the worst move in the world. It's just some people get mad because they're like, well, these books didn't cut. You know, I read this stuff. Well, it's like you still enjoyed the book, didn't you? It just The last ones I read, was it Timothy? Timothy Zahn? Yeah, the three. Yeah, well, those were actually the first three. Yeah. Way, way back. Yeah. I like those. Yeah, those those are probably those are probably a few the of the best ones. And then yeah. I noticed it went downhill a lot. I kind of fell off. Um, I'm sure there are some quality ones. I'm not want to. I don't want to paint them all in a broad brush. But um, I noticed there was a at least in that particular time there was a drop in quality. Yeah. and I kind of quit reading. So. And well, and it just got you know it's like Hanley. I had three kids. One died. One went Spoiler bad. Spoiler alert. One went bad. Well, I'd, all this officially didn't happen, so That's I guess... That's true. It's all made up. It's okay, know, people. It's like, so one went bad, and then and then the sister killed the brother, the bad guy brother, and, you know, so, you know, they had... And then there was a 20-book arc that... Fraticide. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There was a 20-book arc that was these aliens from... That never were in anything. That kind of got dragged out, so... I read them all. I, I just like Star Wars, so... And it's just kind of easy, because... It's like you don't need to, you know, figure out the characters. It's like okay, I know who the, I know who Luke is, so I don't need to like keep track of them. And that's part of the problem with Game of Thrones is there's so many people to keep track of. You're, you know, it's like you're halfway through the book and you're like, who is this guy again? And I notice that it's hard to know who to pay attention to. Yeah, you know. Oh well, it's getting there. Is there anything we didn't cover that we should cover? Not that I can think of. Okay, I want to make sure. I want to make sure we didn't cover. Well, Brian. Thanks for coming out. I had a great time. Yeah, you're welcome. I did too. I think I think I think this is good, folks. Let's see here. BrianCPA.com. BrianCPA.com. Facebook.com forward slash BrianCPA. Hit him up on Twitter. BrianCPA. Am I? Two four eight three four six four seven three two. Brian, thanks for coming out. Um, I really appreciate you coming out and spending time with us today and sharing what you know and. I think it was a fun interview and I really enjoyed getting to know you better. Um, for those interested, reach out BrianCPA.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, found it helpful, please share it with your friends. Um, go ahead and all over the different social media. It's a free podcast. Your sharing really, really does help. I really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or suggestions, questions I'm not asking, people I should interview, topics I should cover. Reach out and let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. Go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. If you prefer, you can go to YouTube. Hello, YouTube. Say hi. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers and it'll be there, although slower because video editing is more difficult and um, Tommy's a busy guy. Thank you, Tommy. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I don't know what those steps are. You figure them out yourself. But I know there are a lot of distractions in life, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts, bad parents, bad everything. A lot of stuff preventing you from you know, creating goals and reaching goals and working with goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's one step. I just want to say I value your attention. I appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. And I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Until then, crush it. <laughs>